0: Doing. last week they had Brainy, this week they got Brainy. we're doing it we're literally doing it differently from everybody else as a matter of fact moving forward from this point on I will not make reference to
1: PMF do you not understand that they are that
0: way because you're Joe Flacco you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for that you can't possibly be expected to defend that talk about the game fam so cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzola here with Sam Monson, and we are live on YouTube and just riding the excitement of preseason week one. It's the real week one. We had Hall of Fame week. Week one is in the books, and you guys can ride that excitement, too, over at PFF.com because we have graded every single player on every play during the preseason. Nobody's ever done that, Sam. Nobody does that at all except us here at PFF, so get your PFF Elite subscription to go check it out. Ride the
1: excitement. Yeah. Mm. That's yeah. a term you just you just threw out there like it was normal. I'm just ad-libbing here. That's why
0: it's, it's impressive. Pretty natural. Yeah. That's natural excitement, Sam, because like that's it. what the preseason does to us. Yeah, we've downplayed it and all, but we didn't have one last year. And anytime you get to see the rookies for the first time in an NFL uniform it's great Um, as far as rookie quarterbacks go we've got the full breakdown on the PFF NFL daily remember it's audio only wherever you're listening to this podcast go check that out we break down all the rookie quarterbacks and we're going to break down the rookie offensive and defensive players on the daily the next couple days but what else stood out for you in the preseason this weekend
1: yeah there were a few interesting things obviously the quarterbacks are the the big discussion um i thought most of them looked pretty good like it wasn't nobody came out of that game where you're like ooh,
0: yeah you saw all the positives you saw many of the negatives right yeah but
1: nobody was like disastrous to the point where you're thinking okay none of those guys can start anytime soon like all of them i think did something to 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 impress um i thought the Rondell moore um Debut looked pretty exciting. They are going to force feed that dude targets. They're going to force feed him creative touches, and he's going to make something special happen out of them. So, the like that role that was already kind of waiting for a player like that in Arizona, I think, looks like it's going to be something pretty special.
0: The, the other thing that stood out to me, it wasn't just the rookie quarterback debuts. We saw Jordan Love's debut. Yeah. We saw Jacob Eason's debut. Two guys who were drafted in 2020, did not have a preseason to play. So our first real look at both of those guys, and they both looked good. Jacob Eason, we, we know Carson Wentz. We're going to talk about the Colts in a few minutes here because today's real show, what we're really doing here is previewing the AFC and NFC South. That is the show. But we just wanted to touch on the preseason a little bit because stuff happened. Eason
1: with the highest PFF grade of any quarterback so far in preseason
0: yeah and, and we were were a few weeks removed from thinking hey is Carson Wentz even going to start the season he's on track for week one but early returns on Eason you feel like all right that cannon for an arm and they say if needed
1: right and the Colt look that week one would be ahead of schedule for that type of injury right, right? and the Colts have said um and specifically have reportedly said to Carson Wentz that he's not playing until he's 100%, right? So he's not coming back when he's, you know, 80% thinks he can play now and it's ahead of schedule. No, no, no. They're like, you, you're you not setting foot on the field until you are 100% good to go. So I would say there is still a good chance that Jacob Eason or Ellinger plays a game, plays two games, you know, starts the season with one of those two guys. And interestingly, both of them did some good stuff. Like Eason with the highest grade of anybody we saw, Ellinger led a, a game-winning drive for the team. So... That's actually That's gone from like, oh, my God, look what they're left with. These two guys have never seen the field to, oh, okay, yeah, maybe.
0: So we mentioned Jordan Love also played, looked pretty good, had a shoulder injury coming out of that too. I got one other takeaway. What do you got? right So one of the biggest offseason storylines, we have beat it to death here. It's the Steelers offensive line, ranked 31st mm-hmm. so far or going into the season. However, through the very important two games, yes. Hall of Fame game plus last week, their rookie offensive linemen have the highest grades in the league. Huh. So, again, graded every single player on every play. Dan Moore is playing outstanding football, uh, a middle round pick out of Texas AM. He's been playing tackle. So, if the Steelers can get some rookies to contribute and be, uh, you know, actually improve that offensive line, it could completely change that narrative.
1: Also, don't forget that the highest graded guard in all of football through two preseason games is Kevin Dotson. There we go. So the Steelers' offensive lineman, maybe the guy who we were flipping the script. Maybe it doesn't matter. But right, we were raising you know red flags a while ago because Mike Tomlin was taking shots about how he hadn't been working so far, and this is the guy that a lot of faith had been placed in. Once he's on the field, all is looking good.
0: So anyway, for all of your preseason needs, it's pff.com. Literally nobody in the world can cover it the way we do because nobody's watched every snap the way Mm -hmm. we do. So uh, if you do have PFF Elite, it's all a part of your elite package it's all part of premium stats you just go in there and you just change the filter over to the hall of fame or to the preseason um so today we will get into the afc south and the nfc south if you are a fan of other teams you're going to stick around but the previous podcasts we did cover all other six divisions so this will wrap up our preseason previews we hit on every other team over the last three podcasts uh getting great feedback on that people love it you can go in. uh you know, if you're a, a Raiders fan or whatever it is, you go to the AFC West show and you just you know click the the Raiders button if you're on YouTube, or you could see the timestamp wherever you listen to the podcast. So, you ready to go? Yeah, get sure. the timer going. We're gonna stay Uh-oh. efficient with all sorts of goodies mm. and information. So let's start with the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars. So we're going through the AFC South in no particular order. Let's start with the Jags. Uh, we did see Trevor Lawrence make his debut the other night. And the answer to all of our rookie quarterback analysis is like, oh, yeah, that's a lot of the stuff we saw in college. Yeah, uh, The overall grade wasn't great because he did fumble in the pocket, but we did see the big-time throw, even though he had seven seconds to throw on that. Um, but, but Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer, some huge stories in Jacksonville this year.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually kind of interesting how much the story for all those rookie quarterbacks is just, I mean, they are the same guy they were in college. <laughs> Why did we expect dramatic shifts in their play. This is it's the same human in a different uniform in a slightly different environment. Um yeah, Trevor Lawrence looked solid. Um he more important, most importantly, I think for Jacksonville, like he knew what he was doing. You know, he didn't look overawed He clearly had a command of the offense. He looks like he's perfectly capable of running this system. Now that doesn't mean there aren't going to be some mistakes and some errors in there, like say the fumble on a sack that he shouldn't have taken um you're, those are the rookie growing pains that everybody has to deal with but in terms of him going out there being an upgrade for them a quarterback and being able to deal the ball to some of these weapons that they have that looked fine um and i it's it's an interesting group of receivers we saw them sort of feed lavisca chenault with a lot of those
0: um
1: screen type quick the rondale moore package almost and I, this is offense is going to be a fun one to watch
0: uh, I just want to touch on Lawrence a little bit from a, from a scouting report standpoint because we've only heard about him as, you know, John Elway-level prospect and, uh, you know, best prospect since. Is it Andrew Luck? Is it Peyton Manning? Whatever it might be. The stuff that I wrote down in my notes when watching him in college, you know, the easy velocity outside the numbers, but he still has the touch to lay it over linebackers. He's got good pocket movement. He is a mobile guy who can make plays as a scrambler. So he's not, he's not as fast as what we saw from Justin Fields this particular weekend or at any point. But Lawrence does have that all-important ability to just move the chains with his legs. But here's the big one: he forced to me, he forces defense to cover every inch of the field. I, I think the arm talents to hit, cover two shots. He works the back shoulder game really well. I think this is the most important part of Trevor Lawrence in his game. And I've said before, citing PFF elite and you know premium stats once again, if Trevor Lawrence's career looks like Andrew Luck's. I wouldn't be all that surprised. And right. what Andrew Luck's career was, there was a, there was a rocky rookie season, but you, but he elevated the Colts team overall because of the, of his big playability. There was some high seventies grades, which is good. He was a good NFL quarterback, and then he became that ninety plus quarterback just before the early retirement. If that was Lawrence's trajectory, which is he's always elevating the Jags, but there's some bumps in the road, but he gets to a point where he's a top five quarterback. I, I think that's a, a reasonable expectation for Lawrence.
1: Yeah um it's an interesting discussion when if you say that's what that is is that a success or a failure for a guy that was built like that which is the Andrew Luck conversation now right like Andrew Luck for all of his good a you can see how good he was by the difference between the Colts when he was there and when he wasn't and b you know he was clearly the second best quarterback from that class Russell Wilson's been better you can make an argument that if you have another couple of years like this from Ryan Tannehill, he becomes the third best quarterback Ooh. from that draft class. Um, which, when you're billed as you know the greatest quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning, John Elway, whatever, you can argue that's an underachievement. But that that that's all for the future for Trevor Lawrence.
0: Yeah, the the one, and then just to touch on the the negatives, and they did show up in the preseason. It wasn't just the fumble; he did fumble against um, Ohio State, and he had some turnover-worthy plays in the playoff. But Lawrence when he's got to run quick game and just when he sometimes he just works too fast we saw that the other day so it's to me it's the quote a lot of the quote-unquote easy stuff and i use that term very much in quotes nothing is easy the slayer quotes uh nothing is easy in the nfl but the stuff like just the five yard quick out or you know running quick game or quick footwork and you're getting the ball out on time and accurate sometimes i think lawrence needs to be a little bit better okay in that area.
1: so what's the biggest question mark
0: for this jacksonville team the biggest question mark, I think, is just the Urban Meyer factor. Does he adjust to the NFL? Does he, you know, what does, I think it's what does the offense look like overall with, with how quickly Lawrence assimilates the NFL, but how do they handle all those pieces? From a player eval standpoint, it's the offensive line.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about that offense, like the potential and what they can do. And they've been talking a good game in terms of all of these uh, versatile weapons and guys that can become mismatch problems and all that kind of stuff, uh, I'm curious to see how close to reality all of that talk manifests itself. Like if if all of the creativity between um, Travis Etienne and uh, LaVisca Chenault and all that kind of stuff, if all of that becomes like just Chenault being force-fed bubble screens and then Etienne occasionally catching a pass out of the backfield, that's pretty disappointing if however they use both those guys as you know chess pieces that can pivot from the backfield to wide receiver to back again the way that the um, that, that Urban Meyer's offense is to function in college because that guy has a long track record of using positionless players, I guess, whether it's Percy Harvin of Florida, was um, one of
0: the innovators of that, of right. the wide receiver slot, I mean, like the slot a running ago. back hybrid, yep. right?
1: And Curtis Samuel, and then when he didn't have one of those guys, he didn't just go, okay, we're not going to have that. He used other players that were, you know, positionless and would move all over the place. Like and he had tight ends that were running all over the place in Florida as well. So I'm really interested to see if that happens in the NFL or if somehow he becomes. you know, The NFL has a habit of forcing innovators to be much more down the line and conservative. You know, the Cliff Kingsbury's of the world, you realize very quickly that this ideal that I have of this offense isn't going to fly at this level, so let's rein it in and get back towards what everybody else is doing. So that, I think, is the big question is, does that offense live up to the promise of everything that's been talked about? But in terms of, like, which is their biggest question mark of a unit, I think the offense will be okay. My big question is, can the defense be all
0: right? Just to wrap up the offense, um, though, they do have one of the better interior offensive lines, I would say. Andrew Norwell, Brandon Linder, AJ Can. It's the tackles. Jawan Taylor at right tackle gave up more pressures than any tackle in the league last year. Cam Robinson was eighth. Again, all a part of premium stats, 2.0. The tackles have to get better. Cam Robinson's never lived up to his potential or hype. So that would be what to watch on the offense. The defense... Absolutely, is a question mark. Think about where they were. I know it was it's four years ago now, but 2017, one of the best defenses in the league, and not just play, playing like it, but with Jalen Ramsey, AJ Boye were great in the secondary. They had one of the best pass rushes in the entire NFL, and that's slowly been depleted. I, I think on the defense, what does the, obviously I always start in the secondary. What does that secondary look like? Um, they're already talking about potentially trading last year's first round pick, CJ Henderson. Yeah. Uh, on paper, it should have been CJ Henderson and Shaquille Griffin, who they brought in via free agency. Then they draft Tyson Campbell, who's a big six foot two corner, supposedly to play the slot, which is again, slot doesn't always have to be the shorter shifty corner if you play a lot of zone, but those are three big dudes on the outside, you know, at corner. We'll see if that remains the plan. So just how those pieces fit in the secondary, I think, is the biggest question. And then where does that pass rush come from?
1: Yeah. I mean, they've invested, they've thrown a lot of high draft picks at the pass rush in recent years, and none of those guys have panned out yet. Um, They would love for, for one or two of them to show up this year. The secondary might have the biggest range of outcomes of any secondary in the NFL. Like, there's a lot of talented players in that group who have already shown up and, like, the high end and the low end of their play in the NFL. Like, guys like sydney jones or or shaquille griffin cj henderson if he's still there from last year there's a lot of talent in that group but you can also see the whole thing not working together and all those guys having like a low-end season and the secondary is a train wreck Um, but conceivably if all those guys actually play up to their high end it's like that's a good group it's a talented group of players who make plays on the ball not just guys that can cover well but guys that will actually create turnovers, force incompletions, all those kinds of things. Logically, it lands somewhere in the middle, and it will be a middling secondary, but that's an improvement over what it was last year.
0: Uh, all of the guys that you mentioned, too, even C.J. Henderson, when he came out, you would say, well, his best year was his second to last year right. of college. Shaquille Griffin has had good seasons. Uh, part of it's the nature of cornerback play, yeah. but you do have cornerbacks in the league who are more consistent and, and you know are are good year in, year out from a production standpoint. So yeah, I believe it all of those question marks and then wrapping it up with the pass rush here, Josh Allen and Caleb on chase on are the two first round edges there. Um, I like the way they stitched together the interior in free agency. Uh, Ray Robertson Harris and a big, uh, Ray Robertson Harris, six foot seven, productive rotational player for the Bears. Malcolm Brown, who they're bringing in from the Saints, former Patriots first rounder, who's just a very good run stopper. I think they made some good moves there, but out of Allen and chase on which one is more likely to take that big step as a pass rusher on the edge.
1: Uh out of the two, Josh Allen I would say. I mean, I've never been overly enamored by Caleb Chase on just as a concept. It it's, it's always been more promise than production. Allen at least has solid production somewhere in the past. It's just been a while. Yeah, um, he's
0: been good. I mean, he's graded in the 70s the last couple of years, but when you're talking about the number 7 overall pick and if you did, 70s as a pass rusher. Right.
1: And if you if you pull in their college careers, there's a much more extensive Proof of Josh Allen being a legit high end pass rusher than there is for Chase on.
0: Yeah. So Chase on looked like a guy that just had the freak athleticism and he had a couple flash plays, but just needed to. I mean, it feels
1: like everybody is trying to find Donnell Hunter again, right? Because the Vikings drafted a guy who was a freak athlete who never really had college production. And it was like proof that, hey, look, all you need to do is take this great athlete and teach him how to rush the passer. The Vikings, in fact, they, they highlighted a guy on the broadcast this weekend it's like this guy has longer arms than Janelle Hunter so if you could just teach him how to rush the passer it was genuinely like a comment made on the, the the broadcast it's like I mean you can't just grab a guy who's got like giant you know arm like leg length arms and say well he's a great athlete if we can just teach him how to rush the passer we've got ourselves a superstar here it's, I mean, there's more to it than that.
0: For perspective, as we always say, of all of the PFF data points, the one that is most true from college to the NFL is pass rushing production. There are certainly outliers like Danelle Hunter. Yes. There are outliers everywhere, but if you are— But
1: the outlier shouldn't cause you to reverse your like position on how you find these players yeah. and just
0: but chase that. The, most, the, the easiest PFF data point to use, uh, too, was probably pass rush— and run defense grades for defensive linemen if you're trying to project guys going forward so uh, so what's the best case scenario for the jaguars and then they're over under six and a half sam
1: best case scenario is trevor lawrence hits the ground running and looks like a good quarterback right out of the gate and immediately you know upgrades everything around him and that offense does live up to the promise of everything they've been talking about with hybrid players and movable chess pieces and all those kinds of things and it becomes an absolute nightmare for defenses to contend with. Um, And the offense carries everything because offense is the more important side of the ball in today's NFL. The defense is just good enough that it's not like actively letting it down at every turn. And within a weak division, Jacksonville is
0: cooking. I'm going over here because of all that. I mean, I think think Lawrence will be... I think, again, he'll have his bumps in the road, but I think his downfield big playability is going to win some games for the Jaguars.
1: Yeah. I mean, when... When the Carson Wentz injury news broke, I threw twenty dollars down on Jacksonville to win the division, because 20? not because I think they will win the division, but because I think at that point it becomes a good bet. Like you Did know, you pull Tennessee. Some of that Doge money or Tennessee become the obvious favorite as you know the only good team left with a healthy quarterback. Um, but if you're talking like what are the chances, like Jacksonville, if Lawrence is good and if that offense lives up to its promise. I, that's worth a flutter worth a flutter as they say
0: all right so both going uh, over on the jags here I, I can't wait to see the urban meyer factor i mean that's the that's the other thing he's going from great college coach to the nfl it's a whole different world it's a whole different dynamic so those transitions are always always fascinating i think they will be much like the jags office season. i'd say there's some good some bad in there will mm-hmm. be my prediction there so before before we get into the next team and the AFC South, I've got to tell you about our friends over at Fantrax. It's free football fantasy league managing. It's the most customizable and easy to use feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. They feature multi-team trades, bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage. And if you're coming from a different site, it's not a problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues completely free. Create a free account now using promo code PFF at FANTRAX.com slash PFF and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league, plus $6,000. Where would you want to go? It's promo code PFF at FANTRAX.com slash PFF. All right, who's next on my random list of AFC South teams? It's the Indianapolis Colts. So the Colts, we've talked about a lot because I think from a team-building standpoint, they've been one of the intriguing studies over the last couple years recently they've had their injury concerns we already talked about Carson Wentz a little bit but also Quentin Nelson with the same exact foot injury they're both reportedly on track to potentially play in week one as you said Um, the other injury issue Eric Fisher the left tackle so again one of the reasons why I've loved the Colts is like how do you set the timer how do you solve this left tackle issue Anthony Costanzo was there forever just a good solid left tackle and, and it's a challenge to just replace a guy like Costanzo. we thought that the Colts might draft somebody we thought they might go to free agency they didn't they waited second wave of free agency they got the injured Eric Fisher who might not be ready for the start of the season which leaves Julianne Davenport who's never really played well Will Holden you know big question mark there but uh, on paper when Fisher's there the Colts have by our numbers the second best offensive line in the league Carson Wentz coming in what do you make of the Colts
1: yeah, and it could easily be the best offensive line, you know, in any given season.
0: I just listed all the biggest question marks by the way, Yeah, well the done. injuries and everything.
1: Um, and it's it's that's what it is, right? The biggest question marks on Indy are all the players that are hurt. Um they they have been this fascinating study of building a franchise. Chris Ballard, I think rightly gets a ton of credit for what they've done. Um they, you know, PFF uh, Moo on Twitter, Timo Riska Has done some work sort of showing how well the Colts have drafted versus everybody else. They've been one of the best drafting teams in the NFL. But the two question marks there are one, is that sustainable? Like, have they actually, are they actually good enough at the whole scouting and evaluation process to consistently be amongst the best couple of teams in the NFL over an extended period of time? Or are they just riding the high side of um, variance on that kind of stuff? And B, what do you do when it comes to second contracts for everybody? Because it's one thing, like, if you actually do have an edge in terms of being able to evaluate better than everybody else, you're almost better off exploiting that. Well, you are better off exploiting that by not handing the giant second contracts to all these guys at
0: non-valuable positions. Ooh, so that's, a, that's the interesting dynamic because, as Timo has showed, nobody th- has that. Nobody is actually better at evaluating. Right. Now, but you- if
1: they believe they are. Which most people tend to, right? This idea of like, everybody buys into their own hype. If you've had a run of drafting like a superstar, you think, yeah, we're just better at this than everybody else. We'll just go find another Richard Sherman in the I don't, fifth round.
0: No, I, I don't think that would keep them from locking up Quentin Nelson and Darius Maybe not Leibard Nelson and, and
1: but Smith. At some point, you can't keep throwing all of your cap at positions that don't really matter.
0: But I think they would. So I, I think they look at, you know, even the Browns, who are very analytically sound, they had some of their, their guardrails hit the internet a few years ago. Like, what do they believe in? They they believe in paying blue-chip players, right? So I could easily – obviously, Quentin Nelson, we believe, is a blue-chip player. You could consider Darius Leonard a blue-chip player. Never pass on the guys that are the you know, among the best at their position, even if the positional value isn't there. So I get it. I, I get the thought process. I also think – what a – I'm not going down the rabbit hole, but what an interesting discussion! Can people be self-aware enough and say, "I've had this good five-year run; should I continue it?" Right. right. So it, it's a great, it's a great discussion point if you're in the, if you're in the draft room or if you're in the room trying to to build a team. The biggest question, of course, though, has to be quarterback. You know, let's just let's just cite, and we're not going to spend all our time just on quarterbacks. Even
1: but with Carson Wentz,
0: with Carson Wentz, it is the biggest question mark, right? C- Carson Wentz's season. With career, remember it, good rookie season, great second season, almost MVP, gets hurt at the end. Then he's a mid-tier average quarterback in 2018. By a grading standpoint, he's a mid-tier average quarterback in 2019, but the entire offense falls apart, so his production falls apart in the second half as well. And then last year, Carson Wentz was the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. There was no... There wasn't a data point alive, there wasn't a film study or anything that pointed to Carson Wentz dropping to the worst quarterback. He in the led the
1: league in turnover worthy plays despite getting benched in like whenever it was, week 13. Yeah. Like they sat him down for the last month of the season and he still led the league yeah, it was bad in turnover worthy plays.
0: And there was no way of predicting that. So, of course, the biggest question my, and so last year for the 9 millionth time drink here on the uh, on the podcast, the first year they did not have a top 10 offensive line. So if you're using, if you're trying to cite reasons, it's like, okay, he Carson Wentz for the first time in his career did not have a top 10 caliber offensive line protecting him. It shouldn't lead him to be the worst quarterback in the NFL. But again, the question is, I, I think the answer is he's a mid-tier quarterback. And what you saw is a peak, you saw a valley, but, the, but three years of his career, he sat in the middle. That's the most likely outcome, a mid-tier quarterback, which is exactly what Phillip Rivers was last year. So theoretically, the Colts should get similar quarterback to last year but with a lot more volatility could be higher could be lower because that's been the nature of Wentz's career
1: volatility and less durability um now now you've got to factor in Carson Wentz's injury history which was already pretty extensive before it's like oh look there's a bone like in his foot that's gonna have to come out and cause him to be on the sideline five to twelve weeks like he already had a pretty extensive injury history that kind of got glossed over when we were all debating just the move generally. You know, Indianapolis loading up and grabbing Carson Wentz, and that's the solution. Um, I think there were a lot of justifiable reasons for making that move, given what the rest of the quarterback landscape looked like. But it did kind of, you know, smooth over the idea of, like, this guy's been banged up a lot. And that has to factor into the idea of trading a first-round pick or a potential first-round pick to acquire him. So yeah, I think the good news is that offensive line should be excellent. Um, Even if Quentin Nelson misses a game or two, even if Eric Fisher misses a game or two, it might be a bumpy start, but then it'll come together. And for most of the season, the Colts should have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. I think that is crucial to Carson Wentz's success when he's there. And then it's a case of, do they have enough when it comes to wide receiver help for him to actually comfortable
0: and play to a high level throwing to capable receivers ty hilton michael Pittman jr paris campbell zach paschal there's your top four wide receivers tight end mo alley cox he had a great season last year jack doyle's a good just underneath receiver there's a lot of pretty good right there mm-hmm. uh Pittman could be uh, a bit of a breakout candidate the second round pick from last year big bodied possession receiver who's who's got some juice uh, Paris Campbell was always a project coming out of Ohio State, and is best in a number three or four role where it's just kind of it's kind of like Nikhil Harry, unless Harry has completely turned the corner for the Patriots. But he's, it's a lot like Nikhil Harry, where you just you're going to scheme up plays for Paris Campbell with the hope that he was going to become a one or a two. It's way too early even to say that that's the case. And T.Y. Hilton is just one of the better intermediate threats that ten to nineteen yard level. Nothing screams, "Hey defense, you got to stop this." Um, we'll see if that's enough. I would I. I've been critical and said that's the thing I think that could hold the Colts back. And Just as an
1: aside, it certainly doesn't look like Nikhil Harry has turned the corner based off that first preseason game. You
0: know, I mean, in, the, in training camp, he had.
1: Yeah, with 24 pass snaps was the most of any of their receivers. He had one target for for one catch for four yards on a shallow crossing route that, you know, just gets open as a matter of course. Uh, just comparison, right? The next highest snaps you for a receiver. Just, you
0: have to take for the every Patriots. opportunity.
1: Christian Wilkerson, 22 passing snaps and had eight targets and six catches so there's no evidence yet that Nikhil harry has in fact turned the corner um yeah I, I receiver is a big question mark i think for the colts like they have there's a scenario where you can sketch out this group and say okay there's enough to work with there but you, you couldn't Ugh. lean on it even even a guy like mo Ali cox who did have a great year last year like there's still a huge amount of room for him to just be used more I mean the dude didn't play that many snaps despite being a genuine matchup nightmare for teams. It's like come on, like play him
0: more. Michael Straycan. I don't know how if that's the best if that's the right pronunciation, but that's what I do I here. Doubt it. The 7th round pick out of Charleston. Uh he did have a very good first preseason game. He's the wild card to keep an eye on. Freak athlete, 6'5", 226, 34 plus inch arms. He ran a 4.5 so if we just that teach him side. to rush the passer we're in business but like solid three cone i mean he just he moves really well and you could kind of see a little clunky trying to catch the ball the other day but he did have a nice high point you know for you know first down he's the those are always the wild cards right if if just a guy emerges it on paper the depth chart doesn't look great but a guy like you know it's a seventh round pick i'm not saying you're banking on him but it would take to me it would take something like Can emerging and being far better even than expected and and, and, and paying off the Colts' investment in a 6'5", 4'5", five, five type of guy. Sure.
1: Um, I would love to see them ramp up the amount of targets that a guy like Moeley Cox gets. He had 36 targets last year. That's less than Trey Burton hot, had in that offense. Yeah, and he it's, he's
0: 267 and looks like a receiver right, sometimes the way he plays. three more
1: than Jack Doyle had. Like they, There's no reason that guy can't have 75-plus targets in a season. You this just is, need to play him more.
0: This is why, I have again, I think the Colts are one of the most fascinating studies because – a guy like Bo Cox on the roster, Stray in, in the seventh round. Uh defensively, they got a guy like Darius Leonard who's got length and speed. They did the same thing with Bobby Okereke at, at linebacker, uh, Grover Stewart, just a big monster at defensive tackle. They've gotten a lot of really good athletes from small schools, from all over the place, and they're they're finding productive players at the NFL level. Defensively, Colts had one of the worst pass rush grades in the NFL last year so they addressed it with their first two draft picks so as much as we've talked about the offense and their line and all that the defense comes with questions as well the biggest one I think being the pass rush
1: yeah and how Quiddy Pay plays right off the bat is going to be interesting they're using or moving him around the formation a lot more and asking him to play um, all over the place that's going to be interesting to see obviously the reports so far have been how impressed everybody is and how quickly he's picking it up and all those kinds of things but
0: you know we'll see uh, the other thing the Colts have done defensively, zone-heavy scheme where they have they have protected their cornerbacks a little bit. So uh, Xavier Rhodes comes in and and really bounces back after his career was just going just t- just south. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocky Sin, a couple yeah, for a second rounder a couple years ago, he's been up and down. TJ Carey, uh, so it's not you know Kenny Moore's been a good solid slot corner, but it's you're not it's not the best cornerback room in the NFL, but schematically. Zone heavy system. They've done a good job there. Julian Blackman and, and Kerry Willis have been solid safeties for them as well. So um, it's a lot of I just good and solid. And their stars are at guard and at linebacker. And uh, it, it's a, it's a good roster. But you know it, we'll see what we'll see if Wentz can elevate them because they were a playoff team last year. And if they're they need to be elevated to win a playoff game this year. So what
1: is their best case scenario? What's their ceiling?
0: I I, I think. I think it's Wentz turns back the clock a little bit. I don't think he has to play like a top 10 quarterback necessarily, but you know, he was he's a big arm dude who can get the ball down the field. Right. And I think you you hit the high end of Wentz's volatility, the defense continues to make plays, the rookie pass rushers come together, and you know, for all we talk about the playmakers, they were about a mid-tier unit last year. Get one of those guys to emerge, Michael Pittman emerges or somebody emerges to to really elevate that unit. yeah nine
1: i mean i think the important thing is that i don't think mvp caliber 2017 wins i don't think that's even in their best case scenario i just don't think that's attainable like that was a freak run that is just not going to happen again and even frank reich when he was talking about like yeah there's still a good quarterback there in carson wentz was talking about his 2019 tape not his 2017 tape like i think there's almost an acceptance that that year was lightning in a bottle and that's not coming again um, so if you get 2019 Carson Wentz, the, the caliber of player he was that year, um, I think you're okay. Like your quarterback position is fine. If he plays slightly better than that, that's probably their best case scenario. The offensive line is good, provides a great footing for Jonathan Taylor and the running backs to have incredible production. And then as just like Michael Pittman takes that step forward, somewhere in that offense, there's enough playmakers for them to keep ticking and their best case scenario is you know they keep pace with the titans and they challenge for that division and make the playoffs i don't see them going much beyond that
0: yeah they would need a few other a few other pieces to get better if they're going to make a you know go to the afc championship or make Yeah like I, run. I,
1: even if you're looking for like best case scenario it's tough to envisage how they beat teams like Kansas City even Cleveland like in the playoffs once they get
0: there i think the colts have built a roster the way the titans were a couple years ago the nine and seven mariotas they've built this team that's a nine or ten win team in a, on a 17 game schedule every year i think you know just a good solid team but we'll see if they can get over that hump nine uh so that sets us the over under is at nine right about what i think they are <laughs> so good yeah. job again by the way DraftKings supplying all of these lines for us the over under is nine at DraftKings. Where where you going over nine maybe <laughs> I'll say, oh man, I want to say over. I really like a lot of what they've done. I'll say over, but man, the injury stuff really scares me. I mean, I think they could. I think ten and seven is a realistic Colt season.
1: Yeah, they they were an eleven win side last year with Phillip Rivers, who wasn't. I mean, Phillip Rivers was okay. Yeah, like if Carson Wentz plays okay,
0: Rivers had a few. Rough games. With an extra Remember how how he either played solid or he was just really bad. When he was really bad, they If Wentz
1: plays okay and the Colts have an extra game to play with, the 17-game schedule, they can get to 10
0: wins, surely. There you go. So Sam's going over. I'm going over. And we're talking a little bit of boxing because it's Pacquiao versus Ugas this weekend. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is offering 100 to 1 odds on a punch being landed at any point during the fight. Did you hear that? That's right. $1 $1 on either fighter, and if a punch lands during the fight, it probably is going to happen. Mm. You'll cash in $100 in free credits. So download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use your promo code PFF when you sign up. Turn that $1 into $100 in free credits when you bet on either fighter to win and a punch is landed during the fight. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code PFF to turn $1 into $100 in free credits only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And of course, Sam, you know. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or 1-800-9-WITH-IT. That's in Indiana. Yeah, it's just so smooth. And I even forgot the Indiana thing, and then I salvaged it and put it at the end. Can't teach that. If anybody needs a uh, voiceover, voice actor.
1: Not even the voiceover. At you're the, you're specifically limited to. I'm uh, very limited. Terms <laughs> I cannot, and conditions. I
0: cannot, I've got one tone. I, I if could, you
1: need a voice actor for terms and conditions, Steve's your guy.
0: I have overtaken George as the best terms and conditions guy. In the, Nicely uh, done.
1: I mean, it's he, a long road to get there. But you you stuck it in. You 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 know you you kept grinding just day after day. You just still, get better
0: one one day at a time. I, I mean, like having him as our western here. You zone. are terms and conditions guy though. All right, Tennessee Titans. Let's talk about the Titans. What a fascinating offseason season the titans had i mean if you go back and listen to us in february or march say march after free agency hit the titans had as many question marks remaining as any team you know they were the team that went into the draft and it's like man we got to figure out you got to figure out tackle you got to figure out corner you got to figure out receiver uh in in on paper again they've done a lot of that They drafted. Caleb Farley in the first round to play corner. They drafted Dylan Ray Duns, who's playing guard and tackle, but they did draft a you know a guy that could potentially be the starting right tackle. And then they trade for Julio Jones. Um, so the Titans, the dudes, man, it's going to be all about their elite athletes and playmakers on offense and seeing how far they can carry.
1: And they were one of those teams that gave us, helpfully, almost nothing in terms of uh, preseason debut information because all of their players of consequence didn't play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pretty much nobody that's going to play for them in the regular season. saw any game time whatsoever uh, against the Atlanta Falcons, Um, except poor old Kevin Byard had to play five snaps, get out there, you know, show show them how it's done. Somebody's got to play. Right. Rashawn Evans played six. A couple of defensive players were out there for like a drive or two, but everybody else was rested. So we didn't get to see what Julio Jones looks like in this offense opposite AJ Brown with Derrick Henry in the backfield, Ryan Tannehill cooking a quarterback. That's the interesting thing is how much can Julio Jones on his own like enhance the qualities of everybody else on that offense? because you know, when Corey Davis emerged last year, I think it was largely because AJ Brown has become such a dominant playmaker in his own right that suddenly, Corey Davis gets almost no attention whatsoever and if you're not paying any attention to Corey Davis he's good enough to show up and have big games and over the course of the season be one of the most efficient receivers in the NFL in terms of yards per route run and all those kinds of things um, I, Julio Jones at the very minimum will have that same benefit and actually when you sort of look at how good he still is even when he's been banged up might have the same effect for AJ Brown right. and the two of them might have that effect on each other like him arriving in this offense has a chance to make this thing insanely good versus even what it was last year.
0: Look, do we should they be called the Tennessee Outliers? The the Tennessee team that Outliers just because, you know, Derrick Henry we, we the more we've studied running backs and said, okay, maybe predicting running back play is is still just all over the place, right? But looking back, what Derrick Henry has done above and, beyond, above and beyond his offensive line, and by the way, his line, because there were some questions about where we ranked the Titans as, as an offensive line—they're middle of the pack for us. They had one of the worst pass blocking grades last year. Yes, they had some injuries. They had one of the better run blocking grades. But Henry has been excellent as a pure runner. Tannehill, really, his career is an outlier. He's a guy that's a, you know, a seventy-five PFF type of type of quarterback who's played, you know, been above ninety over the last two years. Uh, you know, maybe, and then they, they have, they lose Arthur Smith to, you know, to Atlanta as the new head coach there. Does that, you know, how does that affect the offense? An offense that that was so play action driven and does like to run the ball, but opens up things in the passing game. I, I, I can't wait to see it, man, because AJ Brown is definitely one of those guys that completely elevates everybody around him. There are a handful of receivers around the league. Julio's one of them that when you put him out there, it makes everything better. So now the Titans have two of those guys and the most productive running back after contact the last couple of years in in Henry right up there with Nick Chubb. This is – it's going to be fascinating to watch because it's not a depth play. It is just high-end. The Titans have some of the best players at receiver and running back and one of the most efficient quarterbacks over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, they're – this fascinating case study of what happens if your offense is built around like three guys that are just physically unstoppable. Like – and a quarterback that's good enough to just get the ball to where it's supposed to be. That, I mean, almost nobody else in the NFL has built a system that way for good reason. Like, A, it's incredibly difficult to find those people. And B, you're you're saddled with this idea of, well, if any of them gets hurt, we're screwed. Um, but do you, do you just bank on none of them getting hurt ever? Like, it's it's like that quote that's you know, my pinned tweet about Peyton Manning. You know, the, Tom Moore was once asked why Peyton Manning's didn't Peyton Manning's backups didn't get more reps in practice. And he was like, guys, if 18 goes down, we're F-bomb and we don't practice the F-bomb here. We right. don't practice that. That That's basically it, right? Like the, the Titans are saying, okay, if we lose any one of these guys, we're screwed. But what's the point? Like that that's just the way we've built this offense. So let's see what a combination of Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, and A.J. Brown can achieve – as long as we have a quarterback to just get them the ball.
0: On paper, it looks like the the third wide receiver spot is a big question for the Titans. Uh, Chester Rogers, Marcus Johnson, Josh Reynolds is in. And Reynolds could be a good a good three there. Uh, does it even matter? I mean, right. are they going to be a team that is so dependent on two wide receiver sets? Even tight end, though, you lose Jonu Smith, Anthony Furkser, and Jeff Swaim, and Luke Stocker are all on the depth chart there. Ferkser's a good—he's another guy that I think might benefit here. He might be the third-best target on this team, Ferkser, who can shift you against man coverage, H-back type. But overall, the offense was number two in EPA per play last year. And for as much as we love to talk about the Titans' offense, they were 28th in EPA per play allowed defensively. Number 30 from a pass-block, a pass-rushing standpoint. A lot of disappointment in bringing Jadavian Clowney in. A lot of excitement bringing in Bud Dupree to pair him with Harold Landry. Can this defense actually get better, I think, is the bigger question. Because the Titans, for a while, were just one of those teams that was deep in the secondary. Just three good, solid corners. Malcolm Butler, Dory Jackson. They had Logan Ryan for a while. Completely different back there. Completely different. The Titans have to get better defensively this year.
1: They do. Um, I I don't think that the number three receiver matters (laughs) almost at all. I mean... That guy was Adam Humphreys last year. And Humphreys is a pretty good third receiver, a pretty good slot receiver. Humphreys had 33 targets. Yeah. Like they they went, you know, AJ Brown had 101, Corey Davis had 90. And the next guy up was Adam Humphreys at 33 in terms of wide receivers. The the two tight ends had 60 and 50. Um, so I just, they, they're they not going to rely that much on the third receiver. They don't care. It's a guy who's going to get a few schemed up targets and a few plays where they're just open. But it's about what aj brown and julio jones get and they don't really care what happens beyond that losing Johnu smith sure it's i think that is a blow but Ferks is still there firks was pretty much as big a, a part of the offense last year as johnny smith was and either his his targets get scaled up or the next guy just gets a slightly lower role and they make up for that by the fact that julio jones is there their biggest question mark i think is that defense and how all of these guys that they brought in coalesce and become like a good particularly a secondary. In terms of names, that's a really intriguing, actually like Jack Rabbit. quite yeah, quite an enticing group. But Kevin Byard, Amani Hooker, Caleb Farley, who I think is talent wise the number one cornerback in this draft class, even if he was a, a massive injury question mark, Jack Rabbit, Jenkins, um, and Christian Fulton
0: jackrabbit is uh the artist formerly known as janoris yes
1: by Um, the way was there an official like changing of the name did that happen
0: just just for the only reason why i know because i don't keep up with every last piece of news we have a channel that just maintains our roster information and um somebody went in and said i think it's time janoris wants to go by jackrabbit we need to make the move in our system so when we do these podcasts i always encourage you to go to pff.com go to our he is listed on the titans website as jack jack so we had to make the move in our system as well but go to pff.com use the depth chart and you can kind of see everybody we're talking about but yeah i just i'm curious your thoughts on the combination of uh, caleb farley and jack rabbit as a one-two punch at corner
1: yeah i mean just that that five as a secondary right including sort of slot corner with fulton talent wise that's a really intriguing group and i like I like every name in it, as in terms of what they're capable of, right? The the chances of that group be, being good, I think, are definitely there. But they're all various forms of question marks. Like Kevin Byard is the only one that's like a, a sort of nailed on, solid. He will be good. um The rest of them could all be pretty much anywhere. Like even Jackrabbit Jenkins has kind of been all over the place in terms. Eh, not all over the place, but he's landed
0: at a solid grade how he gets there is he has some games and there was a period of time where it looked
1: like he was capable of so much more than that and then actually the more you look at his career the more it looks sort of like Cam Newton where there's actually a fairly static baseline and then this one insane spike where everyone's like oh that guy's an MVP caliber player Jenkins is the same kind of thing it's like actually his career has been incredibly consistent um, with this one spike where everyone's like oh hang on we might have this crazy talented number one corner on our hands
0: I don't want to beat the Bud Dupree story to death, but uh, his last few full season grades, 62, 55, 61, 77 was the breakout year in 2019. But last year back down to 60. Again, Bud has always had high sack totals. He plays the game hard. He always has a lot of cleanup pressures. I mean, he he works really hard. I don't think he just doesn't win one-on-ones a lot. And so that is a perfect fit for where he came from, which is the Steelers. If the Titans are expecting him to come in and win one on ones, even at a higher rate than Jadavian Clowney did last year, it might not happen. and, well, and Harold Landry hasn't been much better. I was going to say on perhaps, the other side.
1: Perhaps a better comparison is Harold Landry, whose career so far has been a fairly obvious disappointment. If Bud Dupree had a better pass rushing performance than Harold Landry this year, it would be an upgrade over his career baseline. Like yeah. that's. The, the difference in perception is absolutely insane based off essentially just the environment around them. Like Harold Landry has been stuck having to be the guy in Tennessee. And because he hasn't been, it's like, well, that guy's is basically a draft bust. Um, Bud Dupree has been as bad, if not worse, but he's in an environment where he never has to win one-on-ones. He's got five other guys, all of whom can win one-on-ones. So he gets a ton of cleanup pressure and sacks and production that's like, oh, Bud Dupree's a, a legit pass rusher
0: right there. The, the one, the one thing in Bud Dupree's favor is he does rush against left tackles a lot, which is usually more difficult. The best pass protectors generally at left tackle, but it's not a complete pass. But those guys got to play. Harold Landry, Bud Dupree got to create pressure. Jeffrey Simmons is is the only guy that's been consistently good that's lining up on the interior. Eighty three grade last year, and they need you know linebacker on Brown to be healthy again. One of the better coverage linebackers in the NFL when healthy. All I know is this defense has a lot of what ifs, but again, that secondary is intriguing, as as you said. I think there's a chance that they are that they're just better than they were last year. The the pass rush could be better just by default. Yeah, being that low, it could certainly be better. The over under for the Titans is identical to the Colts. It's at nine.
1: The big question is that secondary. It feels a lot like Cleveland secondary, which is like I like every player that's been added to it individually. The question is how does it all go together year one will they all play well? And the chances are they won't. Like there'll be some distribution of some guys hit, some guys don't. Like if, you know, Christian Fulton doesn't turn out to be the player that we thought he was at draft time or Amani Hooker doesn't play well or Caleb Farley struggles out of the gate because rookie cornerbacks do, that wouldn't be in in the least bit surprising and would impact the overall effectiveness of of the secondary. But I think that is their big question mark. And if it comes out as being slightly above average, even just average it's a big step forward over where it was last year where the defense was like actively hampering the entire team
0: Todd Downing gotta be over todd downing takes over the play calling too we see this a lot around the league you get a play caller who leaves who left just a very positive impression like arthur smith you have somebody else who just has a history of being a coordinator has had his some good and some bad can you replicate what arthur smith did with the play action heavy system and the efficient run game and the whole thing so there are questions for the titans certainly over unders nine again same thing as the titans over i mean, as the colts so we're going over on all three i want to lean over too i mean they're... don't worry we're gonna hammer the under on the texans <laughs> don't worry whatever
1: it is whatever doesn't it matter
0: is. it's a half a half a game yeah, under under
1: so yeah that's it i mean they're a better team than that they're they'll win double digit games
0: all right, hammering the over on the Titans as well. All right, let's wrap up the AFC South oh, God. with the Houston Texans.
1: We're not going to need a full 15 minutes for this. You want to give them five
0: minutes? Unless you want 15 minutes of just abuse. Houston fans do not want to even even preview this season. <laughs> we What's have their biggest question mark, Steve? When they're going to end training camp. I think yeah. that's the biggest question mark. I think that's hilarious. I just There were two tact, of all the tactical moves that the Texans have made, and they've made a lot. This year, they added like 900 players to their roster, and when I look at their roster, our depth chart here, it's a whole sea of red and orange and yellow. So,
1: so they, they, the Deshaun Watson thing has become such a, a headache for them that they legitimately like petitioned the NFL to basically just stop training camp. Like we, yeah. we want to end training camp and stop all media availability was, and just like retreat into the facility and we'll show up again in three weeks for game one.
0: Just so, just so we're clear, like training camp is open to the media. A regular season practice is not, right? You yes. see who warms up, and then you can't see. practice. So they just
1: wanted to like go into regular season mode now. Yeah. And the NFL but was like, I, I don't uh, even know uh, no. if it
0: was <laughs> the Watson stuff. I really think Casario a big comes part from of it Belichick was the stuff. I, but they did the whole thing at minicamp where they're like, oh, we're not going to put numbers. Yeah. So you don't know who the players right. are. But now right? you're not going to get any strategic advantage when you see the Texans practice.
1: I will defend them briefly and say that the NFL is kind of screwing them with this whole Deshaun Watson thing, right? This guy
0: they should know is what's
1: buried under a world of litigation right now. 22 civil accusations, however many criminal there are. Um, and... The NFL has investigated this like they've talked to witnesses. They have been running their own investigation as part of this uh, Elliot Ness Goodell, like investigative arm that they have to run their own justice system off to the side and haven't put him on the commissioner's exempt list. So the Texans are stuck with this guy who doesn't want to be there, who might be in jail who whatever like the legal thing works out like they are saddled with him right now showing up to training camp every day and just having to do something with him so they've been like parking him in the secondary to play like fake safety just to have him do things while they get the rest of the team trying to like get themselves ready for games all the while the media like films him showing up they film like every moment of his life To the point where he's you know starting to talk to these guys as he walks in like why are you filming me every day it's the same thing i walk in here but so if you're houston you can kind of understand that like come on throw us a bone here this is an awkward situation that would be largely resolved if you let if this guy was put on the exempt list and we could get rid of him like off to the side properly instead they're kind of stuck with what the hell do you do with a theoretically franchised quarterback who you want no part of and wants no part of you, but you have no mechanism for getting rid of him?
0: There was also reports, though, that they think that they would probably just, like, eat whatever the suspension is, and by the end of it, you know, Watson will will come back to terms. I mean, this just—that that he'll come back to, like, wanting to play in Houston. I mean, maybe, but— like,
1: uh, but right now you're saddled with this guy that you know, you you can't be assuming is going to be your starter going into the season and they're not. Right. So you have to do something with him and they can't, like they can't get rid of him because there's no, they haven't been allowed. Essentially, he hasn't been put on the exempt list. So they're so, stuck with him. So, let's so that's why at- I think a big part of why they were like, can we just end this media circus yeah. and go back to the building and practice indoors and then we can like send him into a meeting room on his own and nobody has to know about it.
0: Let's discuss the on-field product here. Okay. Let's assume – so here's here's my my weird take, right? If Deshaun Watson was the starting quarterback, would we look at all of those veteran moves and one – all it was is a million one- and two-year contracts from Nick Casario. Would we actually look at that and say, you know what? The roster could be a little bit better this year because of incremental improvements at corner – maybe not at receiver but uh the offensive line has pieces to be good the defensive line you lose jj watt i I don't think they're going to be better
1: right but there there are parts
0: of the roster that could be better the secondary has been just a train wreck the last couple years but bradley Roby returns the one good piece they add terrence mitchell they have have desmond king that could be a good unit a better unit at corner
1: (sighs) i mean maybe but the, the problem is that almost none of the moves have been made at like impact positions and certainly not at spots where they like dramatically upgrade a good slash star player you've made moves where it's like okay vernon hargreaves has been a disaster let's hope bringing in a average to below average player changes that and moves the needle and it will but like not enough to transform
0: they tried to creep back to an average everywhere yes they did embrace
1: regardless that. of which direction that spot was at in the first place right so we're going to creep back toward average from the terrible players but also from the good ones
0: yeah they bring in shaq lawson they traded for anthony miller i like a lot of
1: their moves but i think a huge part of that is like they made 78 moves so you've got to like some of them right
0: so my point is if deshaun watson was the quarterback for the whole time and he he had a 92 grade last year he took that massive step forward in his development he might be able to carry this roster to like Nine or ten wins.
1: I mean, he couldn't last year. Is no, it got four I know that, wins but better? I look at that as more five, flu- six. I'd no. say that's
0: more fluky than anything. I would say that if you have a 92 graded quarterback and you only win four games, that is a fluke. Where if the quarterback played at a 92 level again, the fluke would would change. I would and you say win eight to ten at pfft. least. So I would
1: say last year was an example of look. As important as the quarterback position is, there is a limit to which if your roster is that bad around him the guy isn't superman like he, he can only put the ball in the receiver's hands he Defense can't then yeah. He can't then convince him not to fumble it at the goal line and throw the game away
0: right that's also a quirky weird thing that doesn't always happen so on the other hand if tyrod taylor or davis mills is the starting quarterback tyrod please it's tyrod not according to him that's just no that was a joke man what it was, was a joke, joke? it's not real his name's tyrod he wasn't
1: like he wasn't trolling people or like pranking them saying that actually my name is pronounced tyrod
0: and if that's the case it does look like if they're the starters Mm -hmm. t taylor or davis mills t taylor yes this is the worst team in the nfl
1: i find it disrespectful that you're ruling out the idea that jeff driscoll could be starting for this team jeff driscoll too
0: um Jeff Driscoll's like the epitome of how they've built it's a whole bunch of like they're yeah, the this worst... guy had a couple good throws one time. Get him on the yeah. roster.
1: They're the worst team in the NFL, regardless of who their quarterback is. The only question is by how far. Like if Deshaun Watson is the quarterback for this team and play 17 games, they're still the worst team in the NFL. They will just be closer to everybody else.
0: They'll just win they'll win a lot more games.
1: Yes. Therefore be closer to everybody else. Yeah. Thank you for walking the people through that. Um if, however, Tarod Taylor or Davis Mills starts a quarterback. They are a disaster, by far the worst team in the NFL, and will have the number one pick locked up by, like, November.
0: Okay, so here's – let's talk best-case scenario. Biggest question marks the entire roster, (laughs) best-case scenario. Best-case scenario
1: is Deshaun Watson gets put in the exempt list. They can roll forward knowing that Terod Taylor will be the quarterback for this team and properly prepare for the number one overall pick next year.
0: The other part of the best-case scenario is their young players play really well. Now, the tricky part is the veteran players that they signed for one and two year contracts, the Desmond Kings of the world and Terrence Mitchells and all those guys, even if they play well, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're, it's rebuild time in Houston. Yeah. They're not a part of the rebuilds, right? Who- it's, they are. They are all transitional players where if they play well, their price goes up and they're not cheap anymore. So it's like they traded up for Nico Collins and in, in, in the draft it's it's get the young players that are going to be Ross Blacklock last year second round you want all of those guys to contribute and be a part of the rebuild and of the future because they're actually locked up for at, at a decent price
1: this is a probably unanswerable question given that the stuff the connected to Deshaun Watson is pretty abhorrent but like is it is it actually what is their best case scenario with him that this all goes away and somehow he's still their quarterback or they trade him away
0: and get like assets back
1: if you're the texans what do you want right now when it comes to the fact that
0: they didn't trade him before i think they they're either just they were holding out for high value before all the allegations they were holding out for for high value but they were
1: around right they there was there was no window where they had a chance of trading away watson where this wasn't somewhere on the horizon this,
0: this wasn't this is why we were talking trade for so long once this stuff came up the trade talks died down because people are like whoa we don't know what's going to happen here
1: but this came out like there were there was talk about this for a long time before like the true
0: i don't think so i go back i mean we spent two months talking about watson and wilson trades and and this was not no it was definitely still it was definitely still there it was not it wasn't
1: 22 lawsuits but it was like there are some major allegations about watson that you have to factor into this i don't
0: think i don't think there was they came, I think they came out just before free agency in March. Well,
1: that was like
0: there wasn't. The trade talk was January through March. There was heavy trade talk that Watson was going to be a Dolphin, that he was going to be a Bronco, that he was going to be whatever. And the the Texans just didn't want to do it. They didn't want to make the move. Okay. So now what are they Because they want? thought they were going to reconcile. I mean, I think they should just want Spencer Rattler with the first overall pick next year and, and build around him.
1: At which point you want rid of Deshaun Watson. Yeah. You want to get whatever you can yeah, I think, for him.
0: I think I would I would maximize the the value as like much as possible. Like their best case
1: scenario is somehow the Watson stuff gets parked properly to the side. He gets on the exempt list. They can move on with Tyra Taylor, at quarterback, and then some – like a higher percentage than looks possible of the short-term – low-risk gambles that um, they've taken with all these players they brought in actually turn out to be parts of the future so like some of the moves that i really like like kevin pierre lewis has come in to play linebacker that guy's like been around the league for a while he was started off as you know buried on the depth chart but started to get shots and looks like a really good coverage linebacker yeah Pair him next to Zach Cunningham, potentially that's a really interesting duo. I like him a lot.
0: He, he wasn't good last year, but I like him a lot.
1: Right. Like yeah. if a guy like Kevin Pierre Lewis pans out and suddenly you've got this legit coverage player next to Cunningham who's a tackling machine, that that's great. Like that's a really interesting move. You can then lock him up for a longer term and he's part of your rebuild. And you've got that. Same with, you know, Desmond King rediscovers his form where he was one of the best slot defenders in the NFL for the first couple of years. Boom. That's like an important piece that you fixed in your defense and it cost you almost nothing. Okay. You'll have to re-up him for a longer term thing. But basically, if they can <clears throat> just roll through the season and discover, you know, four or five pieces that cost them almost nothing to have a look at, but actually turn out to be important pieces that they can then plug in as part of a long term rebuild, that that's all they can be hoping for this year.
0: So that's your best case scenario for the Texans. The over under is four, Sam. You still go under. under under all the way through. Under all the way through. So that's the AFC South. Let's go NFC South. Look at that. Who did I start with? Atlanta Falcons? Yep. Atlanta Falcons. We started with A's. This one almost alphabetical? (laughs) Nope. Saints are next. Falcons are first. Julio Jones out. Kyle Pitts in. Matt Ryan's back. Arthur Smith takes over at head coach. Uh, What's the biggest question mark in Atlanta?
1: Uh... What does – can can Arthur Smith sort of resuscitate this offense that's been on the decline since, since 2008-3, essentially? Since that Super Bowl collapse where they had it all put together, the offense was fantastic, Kyle Shanahan. They're like a play away from winning a Super Bowl, and the realization of this entire project has come to fruition. And then since that moment, it has just been a steady decline in the wrong direction.
0: In, in a And in a disappointment too because – For the Falcons, they were were a good roster for a while, and the roster slowly got depleted. The offensive line fell apart one year. They had to throw draft picks at it. Then the defense fell apart. Everything has slowly fallen apart since that Super Bowl year.
1: Yeah. So
0: Maintaining excellence in the NFL is difficult.
1: It really is. Um, Arthur Smith has been one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL, Um, has been the guy running that Tennessee system, which has been – it gets a lot of credit in terms of – look, Ryan Tannehill – uh clearly has been a better player for tennessee than he was in miami but he's another guy who who was definitely aided by the system there and also by playmakers you know derrick henry and aj brown and etc so what effect can arthur smith have on a guy like matt ryan who was shown in the past to be receptive to like a quarterback friendly system right he his best year was in kyle shanahan's offense where they again were one play away from winning it all so Matt Ryan is headed towards the twilight of his career, but is there a, a you know a second wind towards the back end now that he gets put in this sort of more friendly system again, um, particularly if a guy like uh, Kyle Pitts does show up and become like the player that he looks like he could be?
0: I, I have a, a bit of a theory here, the Julio Jones elite wide receiver theory. Remember when we, we went on the daily months back and we talked about if you could have an elite quarterback or a head coach. You can pick quarterbacks or head coaches. What's the first? What's the point where you start to pick a head coach, right? What if we said the same thing about an elite receiver? Like, is there a cutoff point? Because this goes to Matt Ryan's uh, on-off splits with Julio Jones. I think Matt Ryan is a very good quarterback. I've always classified him as a top eight quarterback, but I always wonder because when you did lose Julio, things certainly changed. I do believe the the top of the top, the Bradys, Rogers, Breeze, Manning, probably Mahomes, but we haven't seen it yet, right? I think those guys can handle the lesser supporting cast. But is it, if you were talking <laughs> Julio Jones or Antonio Brown at his peak, or uh... Matt,
1: Matt Ryan's legacy is going to be that his he his, his performance has always been the inflection point, at which point the rules change. In every scenario, really is, right? right?
0: I think he's a tier two quarterback. I think he's above tier three. But he's
1: that point. He is yeah. the pivot point at which, uh, where all of the rules for elite quarterbacks and their relationship with coaches or receivers or offensive line, everything changes at Matt Ryan. That will be that guy's legacy that he was an incredibly good player, but he was the inflection point at which stage all of the graphs for the relationship between elite quarterbacks and everything else shift at Matt Ryan because he's that step down
0: because he's his play look I mean every quarterback's play will elevate theoretically with a Julio or with a Kyle Shanahan the problem is without Julio stuff and and it's not always fair too because when you lose your elite receiver chances are your team hasn't built like your number your, your team building assumes Julio Jones is there it's not completely fair because other quarterbacks have, say, Keenan Allen or whatever other number one wide receiver, T.Y. Hilton or whoever it is. Anyway, that's always my what I think about with, with Matt Ryan. So Kyle Pitts will come in and steal some of those targets, and he, reportedly he's looking great at camp. Calvin Ridley's another fantastic receiver. But in today's NFL, I know they couldn't afford Julio Jones, but if they had Julio and Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts, that's how you win in today's NFL. Go cover these guys. We're going to score 30. Good luck.
1: Yeah, it, it is a little bit unfortunate that you're like, hey, we're bringing in Arthur Smith. He's this great offensive mind. He's going to elevate us back to those Super Bowl levels when it comes to the offense. And then it's like, but we're going to chop out his knee. You know, the first, one of the first moves we make is going to be trading away his best player. Um, and Julio Jones still is their best player, despite injuries and uh, and a lack of, you know, some missing time over the past couple of years. He's still the best player on that offense. So, that is unfortunate that you it's now Arthur Smith it's sort of like the Rams situation again where it's like not only do you need to upgrade everything in your power but you need to offset what we just did to you in terms of trading away the most impactful player on this offense. So that is a shame. Um their big I think their biggest question mark is though how much he can elevate everything there.
0: So Ryan 83 grade last year uh he had some really rough games. He had some good games, and that's been the last couple seasons, I think, for Matt Ryan. The offensive line, questions on the interior here. Uh, they don't, Alex Mack regressed last year. He's, he's in his mid-30s. He moves on to San Francisco. He's gone. Matt Hennessy uh, most likely to replace him there. Left guard has been an issue for a while. Uh, and right tackle Caleb McGarry got better last year, former first-round pick. He heads into year three. They really need that third-year Bump that, that that I always reference. They need that from him. So the line could get a little bit better. They're also for Arthur Smith, Cohen from Derrick Henry, the best the best running running back over the last couple of years. They've gone with the uh, you know running backs don't matter style. Like oh we'll just bring in Mike Davis. We'll bring in whoever Cordell Cordell Patterson's on the TEP chart there. Yeah. So I think there's some faith that the outside zone scheme that they're going to implement and everything can. Um, Elevate that run game, and that they're going to try to win through the pass.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think it's a smart thing to be doing. Uh, Mike Davis also played pretty well when he came. He's
0: in. good. I mean, he's a good. He could tackle. He, he could break tackles. He's he's kind of your classic. He'll maximize the ten to fifteen yard runs. Don't know if he'll take any of the house.
1: Right, and then the other big question mark
0: is like, how is that defense going? That's get what I wanted to get to. Terrible. What a mess they they were the last couple of years. uh dean pease is there. I mean, so you're you're going from the old school old school now you're going from the Seattle cover three Dan Quinn very consistent same coverage every single week let's master it to Pease who's done a good job with the Ravens with the Titans kind of you know scheming up pressure a lot of five-man rushes and I think they need that I mean it's Grady Jarrett who can rush the passer and not a whole lot else on that on that defensive line Dante Fowler they, they I think they overpaid for Fowler after he had his aaron donald career high sack total in 2019 Uh, they don't have a whole lot of guys that you could just trust winning one-on-one up front and then the secondary even bigger question mark maybe even than the defensive line
1: yeah it really is i mean it's it's grady jarrett and who the hell else is going to show up um I, i think you should expect Deion jones to get back to being something like his best but i don't think it's a coincidence that like his decline has come in tandem with like everything around him falling apart like deion jones's job is more difficult when the players around him are bad than it is when they're good so grady jarrett has been the one superstar that's been able to show up whatever his job i think it's i think it's easier for an interior defensive lineman to do that than it is for a linebacker like the linebacker's job is already amongst the hardest in the nfl it gets made exponentially more difficult when the players around you suck and you have to try and make up for other people's failings grady jarrett just has to beat his dude right now okay the, the assignments might get more difficult in terms of double teams or whatever, but I think it's still an easier thing to show up and be really good than it is for for Deion Jones when the stuff around you is bad. Like AJ Terrell needs to take a big step forward in year two, along yeah. with every other rookie cornerback last year. Um, it's tough to see. It's tough to see the obvious areas of improvement with
0: this group. The cornerback depth chart includes Terrell, who you just mentioned, Fabian Moreau, Isaiah Oliver. You know they've just been both of those guys just been okay during their career kendall sheffield showed some promise as a rookie in 2019 only had a 40 grade last year richie grant who they drafted in the second round safety by name but a guy i always i liked him as an overhang slot type of player that's where he played in the preseason game the other night so i think richie grant could play some of that slot safety hybrid they bring in eric harris at safety and uh, deron Harmon at safety solid 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 you're just using the the word solid a lot but i mean they need a lot of these guys to play at their best to get the secondary back on track i think i think peas can transition them pretty well just because again it's the schemed up pressure because is this the worst group of edge rushers in the league when you look at left outside linebacker right outside linebacker on our depth chart here sam i mean it's it's just not a good group with dante fowler uh, tuyati mariner uh ogen brandon copeland stephen means it's not a whole bunch of guys who have rushed the passer at a high level in yeah. the nfl so a lot of pressure i think on Dean Pees to figure out a way to pressure the quarterback
1: right and the dante fowler thing you know we saw coming when he went from the rams anywhere else it's like well you should expect a significant downturn in his production now that he no longer has aaron donald to play next to okay grady jarrett is a really good player, but I think that's pretty indicative of the difference between a really good player and a freak in Aaron Donald. Like, it's another piece of data where we're saying, look, the difference between Aaron Donald and the next guy is not the same as the difference between that next guy and a guy beneath him. Like, Donald is off in his own freaking world of unplayable. Everybody else, even elite interior defenders like Grady Jarrett, are not in the same conversation. It's not like for like it isn't apples to apples here so even though Grady Jarrett's doing a great job Dante Fowler is not getting a kind of Aaron Donald boost to his production which leaves yeah pretty much nothing
0: so it's a whole new regime in Atlanta what is their best case scenario for you
1: that the offense goes back to being one of the very best in the NFL um, a Tennessee Titans level of like efficiency Matt Ryan spikes his grade looks like a looks like a stud looks like ryan tannehill
0: um and that is enough to carry what will be a bad defense it's a tricky one because a lot of times this is like what the afc east was doing a few years ago like wait till brady leaves and and build your team for you know when he's going to retire i feel like the nfc south has to do that the bucks clearly look like the class of the division the falcons with the new regime it'd be great to build that roster to be good what a year or two from now but Matt Ryan's also your quarterback, right? right. So you, there is this window where if he does have a Tannehill-like resurgence, all of a sudden the Falcons are, might be might be a ten-win team. So the over/under seven and a half, I want to lean over because once again, I, I think the offensive pieces, plus Smith, Arthur Smith, I think are are too good. But man, the defense still really, really scares me unless they can uh, work some magic there and have some players emerge.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the realistic even the realistic sort of best-case scenario has to be that this defense will be bad, but that the offense will be good enough to carry it. I mean, there's also, you know, how much can uh, a a shift in defensive scheme, how much can it make up for, you know, the lack of talent? It it, it it does does change things.
0: Eric, Eric Eager's done some work that just says, you know, if for nothing else, just the scheme change will sometimes lead to a little bit more production defensively. You know, sometimes you just put players in better positions or whatever it might be. Um, chances are you're also coming from a really low, terrible defense, and that's where the Falcons are. So there could be some improvement there. Um, did you say over/under on the seven and a half per uh, DraftKings? Seven and a half is the over/under at DraftKings.com. I will say under. I like. We should investigate the Matt Ryan stuff too, because for all the rules, we're like I'll oh, get a top eight quarterback. Matt Ryan's had some winning seasons and some losing seasons, and been a pretty consistent top eight caliber quarterback the majority of his career yeah he is that he's the i like it we'll start calling him the inflection point from now on <laughs> that's a great nickname The inflection point matt ryan particularly with just no like context line. yeah particularly in line
1: particularly if we give no context at any time it's just <laughs> matt ryan is the inflection point the
0: inflection point coming down the aisle great wrestling name yeah. the new orleans saints Man, bunch of turnovers with the first preseason game. We're not going to overreact to that. The grades no, weren't nearly no, as bad no. for the quarterbacks as maybe the perception there. Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston. We call him Tameis here. What are we expected from the Saints, Sam? Well, Taysom Hill got the start.
1: Now, okay, they've already said well, that he's the Jameis will get the start the next game. $140 million man. Doesn't matter.
0: I can't believe that. Reset. $140 million. I
1: can't believe that people are genuinely doing like segments based off the $140 million quote unquote contract that Taysom Hill has.
0: You calling it fake news?
1: Yes, I'm calling it fake news. I'm calling the contract fake news. It was vo- like it's void. They, they literally don't exist. If you go and like look up his contract numbers, they're void years, which don't even go into the database as real years because they are not going to exist. So- like, it's, just, it's literally not money. It's not a contract. It's just fake. I don't even know the purpose of it, except it actually ends up benefiting both the team and the player, so everybody just lets it roll. But it is genuinely not money that he is ever going to see. It, his real contract is like one year for $12 million.
0: It is a shocking turn of events here in 2021 that anyone would get on TV and use fake numbers to, uh, to build a narrative. But anyway, uh, Tamas at quarterback for the Saints... One of the more interesting stories of the of the year, right? You have Drew Brees leaving. You have Michael Thomas injured. Trade talk surrounding him. I do believe this could be the worst on-paper group of receivers in the NFL with no Michael Thomas. I also believe we're talking about one of the best offensive lines in the league and one of the best defensive lines in the league. My quick takeaway from their game against the Ravens the other night is the Saints look fast up front. Zach Bond, second-year linebacker out of Wisconsin, wasn't – animal on the field. He was a pass rusher in college and um they moved him to linebacker last year. Didn't play a ton, but flying all over the place. I don't want to overreact to the one game, but I just think from a pass rush standpoint and a blitzing standpoint, the Saints can be dangerous. So there's a lot to like about this team. I just think their biggest question marks are the most important parts of the team. Quarterback, receiver, cornerback. They're going to be really good in the trenches. This does scream like 2016 Eagles when they had, they were just good in the trenches, but the perimeter was not great.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> the Saints, they get a lot of crap because of the way that they approach the salary cap, right? For example, Taysom Hill's mythical make-believe contract. Um, and it's always like, oh, the Saints are going to go through salary cap hell and it's going to be... Uh. They, it, it doesn't really happen, right? Like they always this, figure it out. This idea that, you know, they're already like 150 million over the cap or whatever next year. And sooner or later, you're going to have to pay the piper. You're not because the whole point is this is the way they do things, right? You max out the credit card and then next year you pay off the credit card and you start all over again. So they cleared like $100 million worth of cap space this season. Now, it's not to say it's without consequence. It means that every year you have to dump a bunch of players from your roster that other teams would... would generally keep but you do that you clear the space and then you go and you bring in a bunch more veterans right and you play the game that way so the saints are still a good team like it isn't that oh drew Brees is gone now now we're having to live through the ramifications of the kick in the can down the road that they've done for the past few years of drew Brees. they still have a really good roster almost top to bottom the wide receiver group sucks but everything else is in really good shape now the problem is Drew Brees could make do without a lot of good receivers to throw to. Can a combination or one or the other of Taysom Hill and uh, Jameis Winston do that? The answer is almost certainly no. And then it's like, well, then you have the further question of, can the offense even look the same for these two guys? If not, which one do you want to roll with? Because you can't just flip, you you can't just change week to week because the entire system will have to change. Or is there some combination that you can use both of them in a weird and creative Bill Walshian manner, you know, where you have like an end zone or red zone quarterback and a between-the-20s quarterback. Or just generally, like, what does this offense look like with either one of these guys? And, you know, which one are you going to pick?
0: We we talked about the Patriots quarterback decision with Cam Newton versus Mac Jones, right? I don't think they're running different offenses in New England. I I think it's the same offense, but if Cam Newton was running it, you'd just have more quarterback runs in there. It's the same concepts, right? With the Saints, I think you might actually have two legitimately different offenses. If Taysom Hill's in there, it's not just the QB runs that you're adding, but to complement the QB runs, you're probably going to run a little bit more play action, more downfield passing, and more it's going to be run, and then let's chuck it 20-plus yards down the field a little bit more. I think with Jameis, it's about that intermediate level, that 10 to 19-yard level that he's always where he's always excelled. He's, he's aggressive there, and he moves the chains there. I think it. I think more than, say, like the Patriots situation where they're de- debating between two quarterbacks, I think more so in New Orleans there's more pressure on Sean Payton to really build the offense around those two guys uh, because I do think they look completely different. The passing concepts, I think, are a little bit different for what works for Jameis versus what works for Taysom, whereas I could see, like, the New England example, Cam Newton and Mac Jones, it's like, all right, we're just going to run a lot of the, the same stuff. Um, so that's – and my worry with Jameis – is not having not having legitimate dudes to throw to. Uh West Callaway could be good and solid. And, and I know a lot of these guys can be good players, but you have to compare to the rest of the NFL. How are you going to compete with the Bucs? Like how many Bucks receivers are the best receiver on the Saints? Just <laughs> pass all catchers. of them. Like six of them. There's yeah. like six better pass catchers. If you take out, my, yeah. if you take out Michael Thomas... Too. Yeah, if you take out Michael Thomas... All of them. You would take six or seven bucks before you take one Saint. You would as take far as pass catchers. The ones
1: are. that are going to make the Bucks active roster, you would take every single one of them as the best receiver on the Saints.
0: You'd take four receivers and three tight ends before you take one Saint's All pass All of them. It's
1: literally... It's, it's everybody that's going... The only question mark would be that last receiver that sticks on the Tampa Bay roster.
0: Tyler the, Johnson would be like a number... Right, be like, Tyler, oh, Johnson Tyler Johnson or Johnson Jalen, Jalen Darden. Right, or <laughs> Jalen
1: Darden or whoever's going to stick in terms of like the depth player and return man, is he better than Marcus Calloway?
0: So, which also makes me think, right? If it is the Taysom offense, you've got the best tackle tandem in the NFL, Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchek, Eric McCoy, one of the better centers. Uh, they they might just want to be this power running team that builds around Taysom's skill set. And then don't forget Alvin Kamara. I mean, he's their best weapon, right? He's yeah. the, even though he's a running back, he <clears throat> is their best He's weapon. also their best receiver. He is their best receiver. He's their best everything. So you want to get him the ball as much as possible and say, okay, let's just win the math. Let's have Taysom as a runner. Let's have Kamara as a runner and just uh, and beat people up from an offensive line standpoint and a defensive line standpoint. Because I think you know Marcus Davenport looked really explosive the other night. Cameron Jordan, they bring in Peyton Turner as a first rounder. I think it's going to be a trench. It's going to be a trench team. And I I wonder if they have to embrace that with Taysom Hill.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I've already said this. I think that they should. I Because you're not you're not just evaluating which guy is better in a vacuum. You're saying, which guy are you capable of having more offensive production with, bearing in mind that you're going to have no receivers, right? So which is different. Like Jameis Winston might well be a much more capable passing quarterback than Taysom Hill. He's the guy with 5,000 yards on his resume. Taysom Hill's never going to get that, even in a 17-game schedule, even if he plays for the next X number of years. That's not Taysom Hill's kind of game but you're never hitting 5,000 yards with the receivers that the Saints have. So that is immediately out of the window as a conceivable ceiling for what Jameis Winston can do, even ignoring the fact that those 5,000 yards came at 30 interceptions and blah, blah, blah. So what you're evaluating is with this group of disastrous wide receivers and an injured Michael Thomas who may or may not get traded at some point, what can that quarterback do? And at that point, I think you can say, well, we can – shift the onus on the quarterback when it comes to Taysom Hill by factoring in this run-heavy system and actually scheming open some things because everybody's focused on shutting him down in the run game. You can't really do that for Jameis.
0: You got Ty Montgomery there. You just run some single wing. Ty Montgomery and Alvin Kamara, I mean, that's that might be the way to do What try. if
1: we just save the roster spot, we have Alvin Kamara and Ty Montgomery line up in split-back formation, and one of them is going to get the snap?
0: I like it. That might be the way to go. I mean, I, look, I want to see more Jameis. I, I really do want to see him play. I just don't know if he's really in position to succeed. Adam Troutman, the top tight end, him and Nick Burnett. Again, nobody's instilling fear into the defense. Or maybe it's just more on Sean Payton, right? He got a lot out of Teddy Bridgewater a couple years ago. Can he scheme it up? Can he get the best out of Traquan Smith and Deontay Harris and Marcus Calloway? Maybe.
1: I also think part of me thinks or part of me believes that Sean Payton just wants the challenge of Taysom Hill at quarterback. Like, this presents...
0: Isn't I, Jameis as much of a challenge? No. Look because he's a 30 interception guy. Because
1: again, it's like, what are you going to do to just stop him making idiot mistakes? You know, there's not much you can do schematically to do that. Whereas with Taysom Hill, it's like, oh, I get to like, craft this new offense that makes this guy into a viable off into a viable quarterback and I've been like talking about it for the last three years so I should
0: probably come up with something pretty good (laughs) loves the challenge all right uh so you so you predicting uh, Taysom as a starter I think they
1: should I just think it makes more sense given the handicap that they now have at
0: that position Uh, on the defensive side I mentioned I think the defensive line is going to be excellent and the big question always, every team, secondary, Marshawn Lattimore, good on the outside, has to deal with some, some tough assignments the stuff we've always said about James Bradbury, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in the slot. By the way, Lattimore, for all the assignments, I mean, he is still a guy that's underachieved the last couple of years. Yeah, He's great against Mike Evans. Right, He has underachieved these last couple of years based off what we saw as a rookie, what we saw at Ohio State, the size and skills to do it all. Um, but Marcus Williams returns at safety. Malcolm Jenkins is still there at safety. They just have good players everywhere. The second cornerback spot opposite Marshawn Lattimore. It's wide open. And much like the Packers have the big question at cornerback too, the Saints have it as well.
1: You've also got to bear in mind that uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's
0: effectiveness
1: tumbles now that they're going to enforce taunting. Like Dude, that's he,
0: might, he might have two penalties a game. <laughs> By the way, the taunting thing—my ten seconds on taunting. Everybody, oh, we got a quote tweet and have to say how mad we are about what Warren got? Sharp's thing. It just uh-huh. you know, they're not—it's not, not going to be that bad during the regular season. You have to have bad flags in the preseason so you can gauge reaction, Why? and then and then bring it back. Why? Why can't you just call it properly? It's not going to be as bad as they—the things that were going around the internet, where a guy like went, ah, yeah, I had a good play. What taunting flag? It's not going to be that bad.
1: Okay. I, it's a dumb thing to be enforcing in the first place. I don't know why
0: they're enforcing taunting anything. Like okay. And one taunting of the, talk. One oh, of the most, no, 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 no. Talk one Saints, of those
1: quarterback two. One of the most iconic moments in the Super Bowl was Antoine Winfield Jr. going up and giving the peace sign to Tyreek Hill. That's a flag now. It's illegal. can't do it. That sucks. That's a, that's a regressive
0: bad move in the wrong direction. NFL sucks. Don't do it. It's not good for the kids. Cornerback <laughs> two, Paulson Adebo, third-round pick of the Saints. Kavari Russell. Ken Crowley. He's had I mean he's had bouts of good play for the Saints at times. He was he was like cornerback two a few years ago and just not consistent enough. Man, it's a I think it's a just a big question for the Saints to figure out here. Yeah, it is. I mean they, they got rid of Prince of Mucamara too, he must have lost a step <laughs> after not playing last year.
1: Poor guy. Um yeah, the that's a major question mark for them. They, they have that one quality starter. And even, like, as much as Marshawn Lattimore is one of the most talented corners in the NFL and for some reason is Mike Evans' kryptonite, he hasn't been good against everybody else yeah. for, for a while now. So as much as we think about him as, like, the one spot that doesn't need any attention, he needs to play up to his level. Otherwise, that secondary has the capacity to be
0: a letdown. But it's the classic case of, though, like, talent and and we've seen it before and all that stuff but right. if it, it doesn't show up in latimore's week to week production which is an issue it's the most it's the more important thing than the can you do it
1: but they're helped by the fact that that defensive line should be really good and they should get a lot of pressure and that like the steelers that might
0: help you know paper over some cracks there this might be the biggest group of defensive ends i've ever seen like four <laughs> three defensive ends cameron jordan marcus davenport uh, Tano uh, Passignon from the from the Chiefs, uh-huh. Peyton Turner, they're all six six, six seven, and just monsters. So I, I think the Saints they're trying to win right off the bus, man, in the trenches this year.
1: As long as they hide Sutton Smith at the
0: bank somewhere, <laughs> hide Sutton,
1: who by the way is also playing fullback for them. You see that? I did not. Yeah, yeah. Really, just keep him in the NFL. Just keep him somewhere. Give him a job. Well, pivot to fullback will help. Now it doesn't matter. That he's got tiny little arms.
0: Overarm, uh, overarm, uh, over unders nine for the Saints here.
1: Over, no. Wait, nine. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, screw it. Over. I'll say over to. I don't know, man. It' there's a lot on Sean Payton, man. It's a lot on Sean Payton. Drew Brees retired. Got to figure out what to do with Tamez here. Yeah, and I, I'm just I'm a little worried about the perimeter for the Saints. A little worried about the perimeter.
1: The other, I mean, the other. They'll inch- figure it out. Though. The other thing over. about that quarterback thing, though, is. It might be It's more difficult, I think, to like create a run offense out of nowhere if you need to when you need to make a midseason switch than it is to like go back to something more conventional. So, like, if you start with if you start with Taysom Hill, I think it's much easier to pivot back to like normal than it is to start with Jameis. And then bring in Taysom and have to like build this thing immediately in the course of a week.
0: I disagree. I mean, it's just, you call more run plays. You call the same run plays you've installed. But it's not much point. Except like, there's, a, there's a keeper element to it.
1: No, in order for this thing to be good, you can't just be like, oh, we're going to call a run play and have some element you're of quarterback in there. you power and inside zone. You and need not, to run like, the same plays, You need to man. integrate the passing game into this. Otherwise, it's just a gimmick. Otherwise, it doesn't do anything for you.
0: The, the playbook's not going to change. It's the it's the part of the playbook that you are bringing into the game plan every week that might change. Carolina Panthers time. What are you thinking on the on the Panthers? Sam Darnold's in. PJ Walker's tearing it up. There's already buzz. The PJ should be starting. That guy has continued <laughs> to get better through the years. I know your first impression of him was not good, but he has gotten better and better through the years. Has
1: he? Yeah. I mean, he's gotten better than he was at Temple. But is he right. is he better? Like, has he gotten better over the past couple of years, or has he just not played yeah. in
0: any where nice he, games of uh, consequence? Was he AAF or XFL star? A- or both? AAF. I'm starting to lose track A- F- of of who did what then. Eric would know. He had he had skin in all, every game. Yes. I think he was an AAF. AAF star, PJ Walker. Anyway, Sam Darnold. Let's stick with the original uh, narrative here. No, be, XFL. He was XFL guy.
1: Houston Roughnecks of
0: course legend for the roughnecks is this sam Darn- so sam darnold is the starter though 58 grade last year has never really progressed for the jets but the war i mean one of the worst situations in the league offensive line and playmaker wise i think it's sam darnold's best situation joe brady is the play caller dj moore robbie anderson and Terrace marshall to throw to what do we expect him from darnold and the panthers here uh much the same from darnold i'm not buying into the idea that you know, Gase. not buying into any of it, huh? I'm
1: not buying into the idea that Gase was the problem. Like Gase is the reason that Sam Darnold has not achieved at the NFL. I think the problem I is that Sam that. Darnold is just not capable of achieving at the NFL.
0: See, I, I agree. It's not all on Gase. I agree. I, I I think Darnold, who did not play well and didn't elevate his teammates, did not have good, good teammates to elevate. I, I think he did have a terrible situation. Now, that's not to say that he's going to come out of the season and all of a sudden it's going to be like, all right, top 15 quarterback. I don't think he makes it there at this point but I think I think it's going to look like Bridgewater season last year uh it it, Bridgewater landed at about a 66 67 grade if Darnold grades in the high 60s with much better I mean this if he produces at the same level as Bridgewater last year that's like night and day from what Darnold had done with the Jets I could see that happening because of the scheme the playmakers that they have but the Panthers biggest question mark certainly is that offensive line
1: yeah, I think it is. I mean, I, I think, to an extent, the, the, um, the standard of Darnell's supporting cast, I think, gets overstated at times. It was bad, but I don't think it was as catastrophic as people are making it out to be.
0: Um, I'm making it out to be catastrophic. I don't think it was that bad.
1: Certainly, with receivers, like he had guys to throw to. The offensive line was bad.
0: Who did he have to throw to? Robbie
1: Anderson, Jamison Crowder. These are not disastrous players.
0: For two years? Yeah. Yeah. Two years of Robbie. Crowder was good, but he was hurt a lot. Okay. Herndon? Like,
1: these are not... They didn't have a complete like absence of people for him to throw to. They had some players with the Jets. Now, was it one of the best receiving cores in the NFL? Of course not. But was it the worst? Like, he at no point was he staring at a a receiving room that looked like the New Orleans Saints step chart this year, where you're like... What has this guy got to deal with? At many points he did, with all the injuries and stuff. They had legitimate receivers for him to throw to. Robbie Anderson would be by far the best receiver on the New Orleans Saints depth chart right now, absent Michael Thomas. By far. And... Sam Darnold had that guy and made him look worse.
0: Good thing he's got Robbie now.
1: Robbie goes to Carolina, looks way better in year one, even with Teddy Bridgewater throwing him the ball. I
0: would also, but th- this is where the whole thing comes in. Robbie Anderson was used far better in Carolina too. He's, sure. he, he was used as more than just a deep threat. Sam, Arnold, D- Sam Darnold has never been a good deep ball thrower. That is one of the things I thought would improve or thought would improve with a guy like a Robbie Anderson or whatever, but it's not his game. And the Panthers tapped into Robbie Anderson and said, You're not just an outside receiver running vertical routes, you're gonna you're gonna play all yeah. over the place. I think the Panthers are gonna put Darnold in position to produce a lot better. Just for reference, his best Darnold's best passer rating is 84, highest yards per attempt is 6.9. Those are well below the league average these days. If he ends up with league average stats, a 90 passer rating, 7.3, 7.4 yards per attempt, I wouldn't be surprised. But I think he could do that on a less than stellar grade. And I think we still get to the end of the season saying the Panthers Want to upgrade their quarterback position.
1: I mean, the big problem is that that offensive line looks horrendous on paper. And what's more than that, they're going like out of their way to find players that look like downgrades, which isn't, that's not something you typically see in the NFL. Like even teams with bad offensive linemen that bring in weird players, you can almost always look at it and say, okay, that's a fairly obvious upgrade, albeit a minimal one. You look at Carolina and you're like, you bring in Cameron Irving or Cameron Irving and Pat Elfline you didn't get better you got worse
0: that's the left side of the panthers line and we need some perspective here cam irving's career grades last year was a 58 that was the highest grade of his career but it only came on 298 snaps prior to that he had never graded above 50 so in any season with at least 300 snaps cam irving has not graded above 50 which again pff premium stats part of your elite package if you look at the grades uh, anything under 50 is really, really bad. It's red.
1: Yeah, so you, you you're like Cam Irving, okay, that's not good. But he's obviously just a stopgap to somebody else who's going to come in who needs a bit of time on the bench. Like, what are the backup options? It's guys like Greg Little who are even worse or have been even worse at the NFL level. Like, there's no pathway to this offensive line being anything other than very bad.
0: You mentioned Elf Line. His, his best season came as a rookie. Since then, he's gotten worse. His pass-blocking grades in the 40s. Uh, in 18 and 19 in a 30 last year so we're talking production wise the left side of the Panthers line looks like the worst in the NFL
1: and center like Matt Paradis had a really good couple of years in Denver has been a disaster since then particularly Taylor Mouton's good at right tackle though. yes particularly when it comes to pass blocking um, so yeah it's it's Taylor Mouton who's one of the best right tackles in the NFL and then four question marks at least three of which I would expect to be actively
0: problematic so i think it just puts a lot more pressure on joe brady colin plays christian mccaffrey returns so from a pass game perspective i am very intrigued by the the trio of wide receivers i mentioned earlier having christian mccaffrey coming out of the backfield yeah but the line certainly could hold them back because at some point you got to pass protect on third and eight and and it doesn't look great for the panthers there
1: yeah i mean i it's i'm not buying into the sam darnold thing but when you look at that
0: offensive line on paper I, I i don't see how it can be viable what about defensively remember their first uh, uh matt rules first draft two years ago all the all defense and i thought you know a lot of their their young players showed shown some subside uh, showed some signs last year Derek brown a defensive tackle started out slow he got better as they went they put a ton on uh, their entire back seven, but Jeremy Chin in particular played everything, linebacker, safety, slot, and the whole thing. And then they drafted JC Horn in the first round. I think this defense will continue to progress and get a little bit better.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's all relying now on what kind of development curve those guys have. They invested heavily on defense. And they struggled right out of the gate, by and large. Or like you say, they flashed some talent, but then the case is how much better they, do they get? And do they all get better? Because you know some of those guys will be bad to start with, and then remain bad. There will just be bad NFL players. There will be misses. Um, so what the distribution is with all that is gonna be interesting. Plus the additions, like JC Horn, uh, the number eight overall pick, was that where he was? Yes. Um, I mean, that that's a critical move for that defense and one that can really make a, a determination and how good it's gonna be, both for better or worse, right? If he comes in, he looks like a star, shutdown man cover corner, That's a massive upgrade to this defense. If, on the other hand, he struggles badly out of the gate like all the rookies did last year, it doesn't help.
0: We mentioned on draft night and post-draft, the Panthers played the fourth most zone of any team in the league. If they continue to do that, J.C. Horn looked like a guy who was the best press man corner in the draft. And you could see the aggressiveness. You were a little bit lower on J.C. than maybe the rest of the NFL or other people at at PFF, but even more so as his own player, right? I mean, yeah. in the scheme that Carolina is asking him of him, it, that's not necessarily tapping into his skill set. So I want to see, does that mean, hey, we love what he does in press, man, we're going to do more of it? Or the Panthers do like what they see to fit their system. I think that's one of the big stories for the Panthers early on as well.
1: It was a very strange pick overall for a number of reasons. And strange picks are always interesting just to see how they work out. You know, whether they nailed it and they were working with, you know, different bits of information that everybody else was privy to. Or whether a strange pick at the time is a strange pick down the line and you just wonder what the hell happened there. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch J.C. Horn perform
0: in this defense. It is one of the interesting discussions and the more, you know, we work with uh, every NFL team and front offices and the whole thing. There is oftentimes, believe it or not, a disconnect Hmm. between the front office and the coaching staff. I'm not saying that's happening here. In Carolina, but I think sometimes I always make that we always make the statement we're like, "Oh, this is a good scheme fit," you know, and that's that's making the assumption that the evaluation going from the scouts to front office personnel to the coaching staff that it's all aligned. And again, I'm not saying it's happening here with the Panthers, but it'll just be interesting to see. They either think he's good for what they're doing, or they're not adjusting to maybe his skill set or getting a player that doesn't fit. And it's but,
1: well. it's particularly. Intriguing because Patrick Sertan, you know, was in this draft and available and arguably the best corner in the draft. And And a perfect fit for what the So not only have you decided that we like JC Horn more than Patrick Sertan, but you've decided that we like him so much more that we are willing to go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum in terms of schematic fit, which as you say, either means that you think that he just he's that much better that it doesn't matter that his skill set is different, or that you are changing your defensive scheme or the, the the kind of distribution of how much man coverage you're playing to fit the fact that he's that much better.
0: Panthers defense last year twentieth in EPA per play, twenty fifth in PFF coverage grade. Part of the reason why they did invest in the secondary, fifteenth in pass rush grade. Uh, that was a that is an area that they improved. Brian Burns, the star there from a pass rushing standpoint. So uh, the over under for the Panthers is seven and a half. It's year two of Matt Rule. What are you expecting for the Panthers over or under the seven and a half?
1: Uh, under.
0: I also want to go under. I'm just not buying the darn old thing. Yeah, I, I really – I think it's it's just a tough position with how – last year it was the Saints and the Bucs were clearly better than everyone, and I thought the Panthers – Falcons should have been better, but those are the teams that should be forward-looking. I think the Panthers should be looking to next year and the year after and figuring out how do we get competitive as the Bucs – You know, get worse, basically.
1: I mean, yeah. They also need to figure out... I mean, I'm just... I'm so concerned about the moves on the offensive line. Not even the fact that the offensive line is bad. The fact that the prioritized moves they made were bringing in Cam Irving and Pat Elfline. Like, that speaks to... What is your... What are you doing? What is your process? What are you shooting for here? Because there's virtually no conceivable scenario where those guys play well. At which point... Okay, so if we say the offensive line will be bad in 2021, how does it get better for 2022? Because if the process was bringing in those guys to fix it this year, like where's the where does the pathway go for this to get anything other than bad?
0: Third round pick Brady Christensen could be the wild card there. Uh, he was outstanding at BYU at tackle. wasn't challenged a ton, but he was very productive. Uh, in the preseason opener, played 14 snaps at left guard, 48 at right tackle. So maybe he ends up playing some left guard or elf line. Which is perfect, by the way.
1: It's like uh, you've got a guy... You put could, him at the position where we've
0: got the best player. Yeah, yeah, player.
1: He's, His primary responsibility will be backing up the best player on your offensive line and the one that we don't need to worry about.
0: I mean, he went to the third round for a reason. I mean, but... I would try to do everything I could to let Brady Christensen maybe win that left tackle spot. Yes. And, just, or, and then if either he plays a guard, he lands <laughs> guard. Left
1: tackle, left guard, whatever. You have two revolving doors on the left side of the line. Do whatever it takes to give anybody on the roster a chance to win those
0: spots. All right, let's wrap it up. Defending Super Bowl champs. This is the last preview. Yeah. Of the entire, we've, we've done 31 teams to this point. We've previewed all of your favorite teams. Now it's time for the Tampa Bay Bucs, the defending Super Bowl champs.
1: You need to get people to send you more questions because we've had a lot come in, but I don't know if you've ticked all 32 teams yet.
0: We'll we'll get a little bit more from Twitter and everything. i got to start organizing them. But, yes, so Thursday's show is going to be the question show, burning questions, the biggest questions of the NFL season. However you want to position it, we'll figure out how we're going to name it. But I need at least one question from uh, one fan from every team. We have a whole bunch of teams already represented, but we need more. Um, So give us a question for your team. What do you want us to answer? And Sam and I, who, believe it or not, can get a little long-winded sometimes. Hmm. We're going to be on a timer. Okay? So we'll have one question per team. You'll get a minute to answer. I'll get a minute to answer. The buzzer goes off. We'll cut it off. And that's it. And we're going to keep it nice and tight. And uh, 32 questions, two minutes per team. We don't have a buzzer. We'll we'll figure it out. We should get something. Uh, What was the hashtag? (laughs) hashtag pff nfl podcast so you can do that on twitter at just hashtag pff nfl podcast or you can email us nfl podcast at pff.com all right the entire see all the all the youtube folks that are live you guys just fire your questions over right now i see all of you guys watching send all your questions let us know what team it is all right we're going to the bucks we know what the best case scenario is they repeat yeah as super bowl champs Somebody, uh, I don't think it was one of these questions, but somebody did pose the question last time we talked about this, right? We we tend to say, not everything was perfect for the Bucks last year, and it was year one of Brady, and guys got hurt, and and they figured it out down down the stretch. But are we overrating that too much? Maybe they also they did have things that also fell in their favor or whatever sure. it is, right? Um, I'll they were, also say they the, were
1: relatively healthy.
0: Yeah, they were they were relatively healthy, right? Um, the biggest play that maybe turned their entire season around was the NFC Championship. Just going for it on one fourth down opens up a Scotty Miller touchdown that maybe changes the entire game. So there's always like one or two plays you could point to. uh Will the Bucks repeat? It's tough to repeat. And that was close. Needs to go way. right?
1: Like here. that was still a 26 game. It was a very close game. Like, yeah.
0: Any. There's always things that when that you get to the playoffs
1: and right. in particular like the championship games. Any team can win. Like, you're you're not guaranteed a spot just because you are, on paper,
0: the better side. There, there was also a point where we were questioning the Bucks' play calling. Were they running it too much with such a pass-heavy, you know, group of players? They scored three points against the Saints and got wrecked on Sunday Night Football. I, yeah. Again, it wasn't a cakewalk throughout the season, but the way they were trending
1: yes. down they, the so,
0: stretch was very favorable for this year, I think.
1: They are a case—they're a little bit like Josh Allen, right, where the, the pattern fits— the the fits expectations so the narrative is well Josh Allen started off rough he was a raw quarterback he took a step forward in year two and then put it all together year three and now he's a superstar and you hand him the 260 million dollar contract or whatever it was um, and everything's rosy with the Bucs the narrative was what I was pushing all season which is look they didn't have an off season they this is year one of Tom Brady meshing with Bruce Arians. Tom Brady's run the same system for 20 years. This is a completely different one. Uh, injuries, these guys are coming back. Like All of this was supposed to take time to come together. And and the Bucs struggled early in the season. And then it was a case of, look, all, all they need to do is to get to the playoffs and make sure that by the time they get there, everything has come together and they've got some answers. And that's exactly what happened. They went undefeated for the down the stretch, through the playoffs, win the Super Bowl, So it fits. like It fits the template, the narrative, the pattern that we're expecting to see. So logically, you're like, well, that means that that won't happen again. But it's equally possible that it was coincidence, right? That when they struggled, just happened to be earlier in the season. And actually, that could just be the variance of football. And we might see them struggle for five, six games again this
0: year. Maybe not at the start, maybe in the middle or at the end. Well, because a big part of their success down the stretch, they played the Falcons twice, one of the worst defenses in the league. Remember their game against the Lions late in the season. Brady didn't even have to play in the second half. They just destroyed them so badly in the first half. The Lions were a mess. So a lot of it could have been, you know, who they played or whatever. Sure. But from a team building standpoint, when you have a very good, well rounded roster and you bring everybody back, hmm. you know, you're getting a lot of check marks as far as your offseason work. So the Bucks did a lot they, they did a lot of good work to keep this team intact. It's a good solid offensive line. Brady had the number two grade in the NFL last year at quarterback. We always talk about loading up on playmakers. Here, go cover Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin. We debated earlier in the year. We we're like, who's who's the number one? Like, how do you how do you even rank these Bucs receivers? And I I I have this thing. I, I have this feeling that or I just have this thing about like Antonio Brown just feels like the third option, right? Just because like Evans and Godwin were there. Antonio Brown might end up being the best receiver because. Even though he's getting older and he's a few years removed from being that good, he might be the best receiver on this team by the end of the year. He's getting behind people left and right. He dropped one the other night, but I think he's gonna be their deep threat here. The Bucs are gonna be really tough to co- to cover. And so it's gonna take, you know, Brady looking 44 for things to to not go well here. <laughs> yeah. I think.
1: What is their biggest question mark?
0: I, I it's it's a cop out to say health. I, I would say though, like even if everybody's healthy, it always comes down to the secondary fluctuating in performance so if the the, you know carlton davis uh, on paper things look good right carlton davis and jamel dean still young upward trend Uh, sean murphy buntings the slot they were there was more good than bad last year but they weren't a dominant secondary we know that secondary play can just fluctuate a little bit antoine winfield heads into year two jordan whitehead was pretty was pretty good that i think would be the question mark would be the back seven overall their biggest just isn't a great unit and if they're a mid-tier unit maybe they they lose a few more games than they should
1: their biggest question mark essentially is all the stuff we just talked about with the pattern like was that is that actually true or are they are they less good than we thought they were last year because of the way that because of the um the order in which everything happened right that they struggled early, they put it all together, they went undefeated down the stretch, and they won the Super Bowl. So it looks, pattern-wise, it looks like this team now is the best team in the NFL and will be throughout this season because you won't have the struggles earlier in the year. Alternatively, are those struggles still going to exist? They'll just be distributed differently. And actually, this Bucks team isn't quite as good as it looked last year and maybe isn't the best team in the NFL with the best roster in the NFL. And you know, so wh- whereas right now they're seen as like level pegging with the Chiefs, maybe in reality they're a step behind the Chiefs. But because of the way the, the good and the bad was distributed last season, we think that they're going to be as good as the good end the whole way through.
0: The, the, other, the other piece is uh, will they be too conservative, right? So, uh, yes, they just won the Super Bowl. But let's also – the NFC Championship game, again, it was a lot of run, run, pass, run run pass which generally is not a good formula but Brady kept converting third down after third down in that entire first half when they scored a lot of points does Byron Leftwich as offensive coordinator does he open things up a little bit does Brady have a little bit more leeway we did see that at times down the stretch Um, how much does it become more Brady's offense we were asking this last year uh, but those two things right so is there less run past balance so to speak which might be better for the Bucs because how do you cover all these guys right and then the other part though Brady had the most deep yards of any quarterback in the league does that come back down to earth a little bit again on paper it shouldn't because he doesn't have to perform great to just put the ball up and let Mike Evans and Brown and Godwin right. make plays and OJ Howard coming back and Gronk and Cameron Brait. Um, by the way Scotty Miller too right who gets behind the defense once or twice a game and Added a ton of big playability, so there's just a lot to like on paper. With a lot of the question marks being essentially variance, and do the Bucks get in their own way with maybe from a play con standpoint?
1: And I've said this before that I think this offense is uniquely well situated to overcome run, run, pass in the way that others aren't yeah. because they're they're designed to have big chunk plays in the pass game. So if you put them in third and eight, it's different to putting a random other offense in third and eight where it becomes like one of their, one of their longest sort of average pass plays, you know, right. to pick up the first down for the bucks. Like third and eight is where they live anyway. So I, it's I not say, as big a deal.
0: They're not um, from like the analytics world. They don't use a ton of motion. They might run a little bit more than they should. But from a schematic standpoint, the Arian system I think does do a good job of stacking receivers and creating free releases and doing some other stuff. That that does favor the receivers. So while like the make sure you do this and like the axioms that you would go down this checklist from the analytics community doesn't look good on paper. I think there are other things that the Bucks do schematically that are good. The other thing that they were really bad at last year they had the worst group of receiving running backs in the league Mm -hmm. last year. Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette could not catch the ball. And other than Ronald Jones who broke away for a touchdown one time, I mean it's like they were just terrible all around. They bring in Giovanni Bernard. If he ends up just just catching the (laughs) checkdowns because the Aryan system is a checkdowns are heavily a part of that, right? You look vertical and then you just dump it off to the back. You pick up five or six. If Giovanni Bernard just catches those passes, this offense is more efficient this year. So to me, it's all about the core stuff's in place. Improve some of the stuff around the edges and, uh, and the buck should be, you know, one of the best teams in the league. Mm -hmm. The other thing that could work in their favor, they're really, they're a good run stopping team. Does that work against them where you're so good against the run with Vita Vea coming back that it forces teams to pass more? It could force teams to be aggressive, right? If you're playing the Chiefs, you want to score as many points as possible. That works against the Chiefs defense sometimes because teams are desperate and they know and it forces teams to actually play better football, more favorable football from an efficiency standpoint. The Bucs might have that element to them where their front is so scary that you don't want to run. You want to like spread to throw and maybe that's it almost forces teams to end up scoring more points.
1: Yeah. But on the other hand, they're also a pretty formidable pass rushing team. They are. As well. Yeah. So it might, it might not help. I mean, they had Jason Pierre Paul and Shaquille Barrett already. They added Joe Tryon, which seemed like a, a sort of long term developmental thing. But Tryon just tore up as uh, preseason week one, like was wrecking. Okay. Wrecked the Bengals offensive line. So there's, you know, there's some caveat in there. But Tryon look like a guy that might be an impact player sooner rather than later. Um, in addition to guys that are, were already good pass rushers and Vita Fea, who we think of as this big run-stuffing monster but was a dominant pass rusher last year from those tackles. So as much as, yeah, generally forcing a team to be more aggressive passing is not good for your defense, but the Bucks' defense will probably yeah. eat a fair amount if they do that.
0: And Todd Bowles returns as defensive coordinator too. I mean, that's the other part. They really are all intact. You mentioned Tryon. He brings depth at edge. Uh, they draft uh, Robert Hainsey in the second round. He brings depth on the offensive line. That's the other thing. Like, as far as things that could go wrong, offensive yeah. line, uh, The you know, Donovan Smith still isn't great at left tackle, even though he's gotten better. Injury situation. So the Bucks have done as well as they possibly could to bring everybody back, add depth at the right places, and put themselves in position for another run. Let's see. Where, is the, where are they? Are they, are they at 11? Where'd they go? They're hmm. not on my sheet here. That's give me a minute. TV, oh,
1: great. This is a uh, where's really their over good. under? <laughs> i was searching the wrong stuff. Wow, perfect. perfect. Where? Don't worry, keep it, people is, will wait.
0: This is good. Long, take your YouTube time.
1: However long it takes. It's
0: twelve, as I said. Okay, there we go. DraftKings.com has the over under at twelve for the box. Over mm. or under, Sam?
1: <laughs> over or under twelve. Uh, which is is the no, second most in the league, right? The Chiefs are twelve and a half.
0: They might have been twelve exactly too.
1: Okay. But it's essentially the most in the NFL.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, Chiefs, uh Chiefs are 12 and a half. You're right. Over. I'll go over as well for the Bucs. Uh Brady's 44. Yeah. Anything regressing this game.
1: I don't I don't see evidence of it. I mean, any evidence you could find from last year, which is you know, the occasional pass, particularly towards the sideline, didn't necessarily have as much zip as other ones you can easily explain by the fact that the dude was playing without an MCL. Like, he was playing on a torn MCL. So as much as we were like, hey, the Bucs were unusually healthy last year, that doesn't factor in the fact that Brady was playing on a torn MCL the whole season. Like, the dude didn't show up in the injury report. Technically, it doesn't count. But their star quarterback was essentially done for the year in terms of, like, other quarterbacks wouldn't have played. You know? So as much as they got injury lucky last year, sort of— on the other hand, Brady probably won't Brady get a torn knee through. ligament again this year.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because, you know, he he looked a little bit worse in 2019. Not as bad as the stats showed. Last year, certainly rejuvenated. Wasn't all perfect. Um, right. But... Um, but I don't see evidence. passing attack. I mean, they, they were aggressive, and Brady played it really well in a new season. Remember the way
1: Peyton Manning fell off, but you could see it coming the year before? Like, the back yeah, end? Yeah, you saw it the year before the right. drop-off. The back end of the season before that, you're like, uh-oh, Pey- this is happening now. And Drew Brees, the same thing, right? Back end of that last year. You saw it. The, the arm was gone, and you're like, can he get, like, does he have another half season in him? Or how do you get that half season to be at the end? And then it was just the whole way through. Now, okay, Brees was battling... Up on, you a know, hundred broken ribs and whatever else he was dealing with at the end. Um, but again, you saw it coming the year before. There isn't any evidence that this is coming for Brady yet. Now, it doesn't mean it won't. It might still hit, but you you can't see it. You can't look at his year last year and say, oh yeah, there it is. Next year is going to be a struggle for old Tom. Like he looks... He looks it's as not, good as he's ever looked.
0: He's going to flutter one pass in week one, and the stories are going to start. Oh, Tom's lost it. I do know. Maybe, maybe people have learned their lesson. Brady was the most valuable quarterback in the league by PFF War last season. So uh, I'm going over as well, as we said, and that'll do it. We previewed all 32 teams. So if your team wasn't on this show, go check out our other shows, either on the podcast network that you're listening to or on YouTube. And then don't forget Thursday – the question show i want to answer one question per team hashtag PFFNFL podcast or email us at nfl podcast at pff.com we just got an email in sam people are already listening there you go and emailing us live here that's what i'm talking about ask us a question about your team we'll pick one per team and uh and we'll go through that on thursday Mm -hmm. sound good yeah don't forget we graded every single play of the preseason there's a pff grade for every single player on every player during the preseason it's over at pff.com all a part of your pff elite package so go do that right now right after you uh, stop listening to us go sign up it's a great time to do it thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll see you on thursday